0: Oh my God. Welcome, everybody, to Artifact Number 16. This is going to be an episode where two white guys very slowly and methodically explain racism to you, the audience uh, here in America. Um, you could get this podcast on Apple, on Google, and Spotify, Pandora. Stitcher, iHeartRadio. There's just a bunch of places. If you are um, listening to the audio podcast, you can also find these episodes on the Automachination YouTube channel. Today, I'm joined by Dan Schneider. Um, He wrote this book back in, I believe this was 2005, Show and Tell, A White Man's Antiphonal Primer on Race. Uh, back like 10 years ago when I first read it, I would just print out all all the books that Dan and Jessica would send me. And um, so Dan is a, he's a poet, he's a critic, he's a novelist, he's a short story writer, essayist. And uh, specific to this conversation, he actually grew up in Queens in the 60s, 70s and 80s back when it was just a completely different place. Uh, Very different from my experiences of, of Queens right now living in New York City. Um, And uh, in the book, he he takes a very interesting strategy that I think is worth kind of exploring, right? Because in the last few years, especially, we've been seeing a lot of kind of rhetoric about when it comes to racism or race, white people need to just kind of sit down and shut up and listen. Whereas Dan Schneider's arguing that even more than uh, blacks in many respects, white people have a special in Right. With race and racism an understanding of race and racism that really know that people can really find the same uh, end inside. Right. Because, I mean, you know, we're the ones, uh, so to speak, that are on top. We are the ones that are creating this problem and we are the ones that understand psychologically, like why uh, certain things get engaged in and others not. Um, maybe, Dan, you could sort of uh, give a little summary uh, of the book, uh, any updates you want to do, uh, anything you want to elaborate upon in my introduction?
1: Well, I mean, like I said, it was written a decade and a half or so ago. I think it, I, and I had an addendum I added after Hurricane Katrina. Um, basically, uh, recently, uh, this all started with a recent uh, video that came out about the death of this uh, black girl, Micaiah Bryant, I think is her name, who was killed a few months ago by this cop, the latest in a, a series of killings. And I was arguing with people online who were justifying the killing uh, because the girl Micaiah had a knife and was trying to uh, stab another girl. And while this guy, uh, the cop, wasn't a Derek Chauvin type, he clearly was uh, remorseful over over the, the having to shoot this girl Micaiah. He uh, clearly was poorly trained. He had, he seemingly didn't know anything uh, about how to approach people uh, in this situation. And, you know, the basic argument I had with these people is that if this girl had been a white girl in a, a knife fight uh, or, or trying to kill another white girl, the cop would never have brought out his gun. And so the basic thesis with that and the book is that racism is, as people have said for many years, is a white person's problem, at least here in the US and probably in in Europe, that where the problem with bigotry is always with the bigot, always with the person in power. The people who suffer are just that. They're the people who suffer. So when when people talk about, let's talk about racism and they have all black people on the show, it's kind of superfluous because all you're talking about is the victims, the sufferance, Uh, you have to talk about why uh, whether it's, again, uh, uh, white people in this country or whether it's, you know, if you went to Madagascar, whichever group was in, in charge. Yeah. Why do they why do people in power almost always in human societies persecute those not in power? Uh, and so that, that's the basic thesis of the book is to look at at the perpetrator, not the victim.
0: Um, And and I want to just going to respond to this idea of uh, it being a white person's problem, because this has been twisted in, uh, I I guess, somewhat surprising and unsurprising ways, especially in the last few years that we should probably touch upon. But I just want to sort of start with this quote um, uh, as the book opens. This is in the middle of the first page. Uh, this is a question that uh, you say that you were crafting as a teenager when you first started thinking about race. Why are virtually all of the books and or monographs regarding the idea of race in America focused upon the problems, needs, or sufferings of Black people? This query has been with me since I read my first books on the subject as a child in the local library, long before political correctness reared its ugly head. Yet few other people, much less kids my own age, seem to think, seem to even think it was a query, much less attempted to answer it. And by it, I do not mean that it should focus on the problems, needs, or sufferings of other minority groups. Rather, I mean, why isn't the aim of the query directed the other way? To understand why racism is a problem, one must deal with the source of the problem, not the target nor end result. Racism in America historically and by and large has been white America's problem, usually born of fear and merely the burden of blacks and other groups. And I I thought that was a great quote, especially near the end, usually born of fear and merely the burden of blacks and other groups. Right. Because, you know, it it seems like when you you know, when you walk around and you see uh, even just kind of like basic interactions between white people and black people, uh, especially when white people are sort of nervous being in settings that they're not used to. Um, you know, you, you definitely do get the sense that uh, black people and minorities in general, uh, they, they do have to deal uh, a lot, right, in terms of just like cultivating patience, like, like seeing like a tiny little sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, misbehaviors, fears and sort of knowing that uh, they are like they're the ones that are responsible for it, despite the fact that they're not actually doing anything to engender this kind of response. And I think because of this fact, uh, in the last few years, there, there's been this very weird movement um, in, you know, in, in like, I guess, like racism discourse called anti racist theory. I'm not sure if you're, you're familiar with it, but most recently, there's this woman, Robin D'Angelo. Uh, she's a white woman. She wrote this book called White Fragility which does sort of, you know, make the argument that uh, white people, they're not only privileged, but just psychologically, they're very unwilling to admit privileges and they're very willing to admit their role in racism. But instead of kind of leaving the analysis there, she's trying to understand racism as a white person from a white perspective by essentially encouraging white people to engage in the worst kind of you know white liberal guilt imaginable, right? Uh, instead of actually doing things that are worthwhile, it's all very kind of you know melodramatic and performative. It's pay me money, I'm gonna show up, you know to you for dinner, and you know,, uh, we're gonna eat and I'm gonna uh, teach you how to not be a racist or it's, you know, if you if you are uh, the owner of a company, you do all these kinds of like pointless uh, diversity trainings or anti-racist trainings. And it, it always strikes me as after a while of sort of dealing with this as a white person and, and seeing how racism gets discussed. Um, it, it doesn't really do anything to assuage your guilt, right? Because essentially, you're still not engaging any behaviors that, that change anything that's going on. I mean, like at a bottom line, like you need some sort of redistribution scheme, you need top-down policies, and none of that's really happening with these conversations. And in fact, for all of you know, racism being in the public sphere right now, uh, everything is being done to prevent actual changes from occurring, even if like they're being paid lip service to. Um, I'm not sure if you have any comments uh, uh, about that specifically like how race has been used by Democrats or just by people in general the last few years especially
1: well getting back to this woman that you mentioned um, this is one of the basic problems uh, you're not gonna forget even trumpers because Trump people are so far out the bigger problem is, is people in in structural uh, in, in corporations how, how do how do you promote black people from within um, you know, I just looking at that quote you had for me there that I had a corollary question always with us. Why do whites fear so much? And uh, it it's basically a precursor to this idea of white privilege is that, you know, look at look at here in COVID. I mean, it's mostly white people who don't want to wear masks. They didn't want to wear masks. They have they have prolonged in this country, at least uh, the, this current uh, medical crisis, because it's too goddamn Big of a a thing to ask you to just wear a fucking mask. I I worked hard labor uh, through this whole crisis and and I wear a mask. Don't tell me you can't go walk down to your local deli or your local uh, McDonald's and wear a fucking mask. But they have that privilege. Uh, if you're going if you're going driving in a car and you're pulled over and the, and the sirens go, now I get nervous by that. But if I were black, I'd be really nervous uh, about that. Uh, and you know. The the simple way to do it is just act normal around most people. I was just recently arguing with these couple of idiots on Quora about uh, skin color of Neanderthals and early Homo sapiens and the whole out of Africa theory. And I ended up with two people arguing arguing against two people. One was this black guy, I presume he didn't have a photo, but who's arguing about the whole black Egyptians nonsense, which has been Yeah, we should
0: talk about that. We should talk about that, yeah. Yeah,
1: which, which has been thoroughly debunked. And then on the opposite side, this white woman from Finland who thinks that white was the default. So you have one this woman from fin- Finland, Defaults out that, of
0: Africa, like in Africa they were white. No, out. she thinks
1: she thinks that that humans that evolved in Africa were white, and then they evolved, to, they devolved to become dark skin. Okay. And then this other black Egyptians nut uh, thinks that that uh, 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 he doesn't understand that, for example, most Neanderthals were lighter skinned than the africans who came into europe so homo sapiens when they came in to kill the neanderthals they were the darkest they were the darkest Mm -hmm. human beings killed most of the neanderthals and this guy will use a link to say oh they found some some darker uh, melanin in some uh, neanderthal sites in indonesia because we're not talking about indonesian neanderthals and here and there in in europe and i'm like yes just like there's many skin tones in modern humans. Clearly, Neanderthals had a variety of skin tones. Not everyone is, is you know, literally as black as spades or as white as a, 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 a swan. Uh, and then, like I said, the other woman was. But I, I dismissed the, the the black Egyptians idiot just as easily as did dismiss the white racist idiot. And you know, I think I mentioned to you before when I when, wherever i worked, especially in blue collar and work situations, at every job I've ever had whatever black people are there they'll come and sit when they sit with me on a break they'll start talking to me because if someone's an idiot I don't care if they're black or white I'll call them idiot but most white people especially white liberals if if, if this was a black guy who was talking this black Egyptians nonsense they'd be like I've never thought about that I mean you make such good points I mean mm-hmm. I, I'll have to look up on that whereas I know that it's it's, it's bunkum that's been debunked and and you know this the only people who Promote that stuff, uh, History Channel buffs, and the History Channel is not about history.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I, I remember watching. Uh, this was uh, maybe about a year ago. Some uh, there it was like some conference, uh, classical music, and they were involving uh, you know black musicians, black composers, and just like black speakers. And there was this one part that just like really like I, I like I I hate when I see this because it, it's kind of like liberals are trying to have it both ways. So there was this black guy, and he was arguing that. Um, oh, you think, you know, the apex of classical music was Beethoven and Mozart and, you know, uh, whoever. Actually, if you go back further in history, there's been great classical music, you know, coming out of Africa. And it's like, you know, uh, on the one hand, uh, liberals try to make the correct assertion that Africa has been exploited. Right. And due to, you know, various geographical factors that were covered by Jared Diamond and Guns, Germs and Steel, Africa could simply never develop uh, as quickly as Europe or as Asia. Um, and if that is the reality, you cannot have a situation where you have an apex of classical music right, coming out of Africa, it's literally not going to happen. On the other hand, if you have exploitation of an entire continent um, and you know, this African diaspora uh, in America and elsewhere now. You're not going to have kids for very obvious reasons. Why Why aren't black kids in classical music? world? the most obvious reason is if you're a poor person living in like housing projects or something, you're not going to buy a fucking violin, right? You're not going to have money for that kind of thing. You're not going to have money for lessons. Um, and yet there's this kind of need to emphasize like. You know this idea of like well my personal and central history was actually full of either kings or or great achievements and accomplishments and it gels neither with reality nor with the broader argument that liberals try to make about how you know power gets negotiated and used and misused and abused throughout history and it's like these like extremely confused arguments that are just you know they're counter arguments they're kind of deeper, abiding philosophy. And it's it's very kind of annoying to watch. And another thing that you mentioned in, in this book that I didn't really think about is whenever people talk about stuff like we used to be kings, right? There's there's a meme going around now. We was kings, right? Where you have all these like uh, really improbable scenarios uh, for, for Black Africans uh, in the past. But if you are so emphatic that this is your personal history, that is because you have never been able to transcend You know, the trappings of power and how this is interpreted by the white world. It's the white world that says civilizations have to be big and powerful and able and willing to exploit others. If you are uncomfortable with that fact, you shouldn't be trying to emphasize the same thing in your past as if this is a boon to anything because it's not, right? Well,
1: just with the classical music, you know that there's a meme going around that Beethoven was black
0: yeah uh, i mean like yeah or you know like i mean you you have variations of this kind of thing all the time right whether it's sexuality or now it's you know race is kind of more faddish right so it used to be shakespeare was gay now people don't really care too much about that especially since he's still a white man now it's you know beethoven had to be black right or or whatever
1: well the the whole we were kings meme uh directly got started uh with roots the tv miniseries Mm -hmm. in 1977 where Alex Haley's answer that you know you were born of and there's a famous scene uh, you know where you were born of kings of, and uh, of course you you know that uh, the the reason to do that is you, you want uh, your people have been oppressed you want to, to say that yeah. it's the same it's the same motivation that a lot of Native Americans have have taken that you know they have embraced in a lot of ways this noble savage myth that that we were all better than the white people want mm-hmm. even though you can look back. And they they wiped uh, they wiped out the large uh, mammals of, of North America when their ancestors came. They uh, especially civilizations like the mound builders. Uh, uh, it's probable that a lot of what the mound builders did uh, had ecological consequences, mm-hmm. just like with a lot of the uh, American Indians uh, in in Mesoamerica and and, and the, uh, South America. That they 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 caused a lot of the problems, just like the Easter Islanders. You know this. The whole idea about trying to battle bigotry is not to say, "Oh, you say my group is the worst; I'm saying it's the best." It's to say that, on a broad sense, most human groups are fairly equal. Yes, mm-hmm. people are equal; supposed to be here in the U.S. equal under the eye of the law. Uh, uh, but you know, if you can, if you can play chess better than me, if I can uh, shoot basketball better than you, and a third guy can beat both of us and a fourth guy is worse than both of us, that, you know, that's just reality. Um, You know, and, you know, James Emanuel, this great poet, American poet, that for decades, the last 20 plus years, I've I've championed, when you put forth bad artists simply because of who they are or what they are, that makes the great artists who have those same qualities, whether it's gender or, or sexual identity or religion, that, that tokenizes them and that Mm -hmm. demeans the people who have really accomplished uh, anything. You know, I I was just talking yesterday, I I, I did an interview on my a video interview with this fellow about uh, this sporting life and we briefly got talking about Simone Biles, uh, the the Olympic gymnast, a young black girl who's, you know, considered like the best gymnast now, if not of all time, at least for females. And, you know, she she sat out uh, the stuff so that she could promote her, that the fact that she was Uh, sexual abuse and sexual abuse is rampant and and that's all well and good. And uh, people, people have either taken these extremes that, that, oh, she's really courageous or that she has been kind of selfish in that, uh, you know, she she may or may not have told her teammates or whatnot, but this is a binary kind of thinking in some ways she, it is a selfish act, but it's also a good act. If if this is what she chose to do. Uh, But, you know, here in Texas, uh, I think it was a Texas state senator who really had something racist about Simone Biles. And it's like, OK, she's, this is a, a young woman. She's talking about, about being sexually abused. You can say it's the right form or whatnot. But the fact that she's black has nothing to do with the sexual abuse. But here again, the, this is this is some Yahoo here in Texas who is, is shooting his mouth off, injecting race into something where there's no race involved. I mean, the Simone Biles.
0: Are are, are are the rates of sexual abuse different for like blacks versus whites? I don't know about within gym, in gymnastics. I, yeah, I, I yeah know. probably gymnastics. I mean, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, you know, but the the point the point is, Simone Biles' dark brown skin is utterly irrelevant to the fact that some scumbag uh, was molesting apparently for twenty years in, in I guess at this Bella Karoli, who was mm-hmm. a famous Russian. Uh, Gymnast teacher. Uh, he apparently was running a a pedophile school, and uh, you know it was abusing lots of girls, probably white, black, Asian, whatever. But this, you always have these people that if they disagree with you, will will look for the thing that that is. Is different from them and use that you know it's like if i if if you were overweight and i was arguing they said you fat son of a bitch well that has nothing to do with your your, your being overweight mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the wrongness of the argument but it's just a cheap way to inject vitriol where you can't argue intell- intellectually
0: Yeah, I think one of the ways that we could differentiate our perspectives, even though we're on the left, uh, both from, you know, other uh, leftists as well as conservatives, especially, isn't the fact that, you know, I'm sure you and I uh, have the following belief. If you give white people or black people or Native Americans or whoever an opportunity To do the kind of thing that white people have done throughout history, of course, you're going to take it, right? Because if you're going to accept that human beings are human beings across the board and you reject the noble savage myth, uh, whether it has to do with pastoral people, whether it has to do with, um, you know, just like different races or whatever, uh, uh, you know that everybody has an equal chance of misbehavior. But when conservatives make that argument, and it is technically a correct argument, um, they want to simply leave it at that, and they want to use that in kind of you know exculpatory fashion when it comes yeah. to white people. Like, oh, you would have done the same thing. You would have also been you know a slaver, which is you know obviously in Africa, right? Uh, most most people that were entangled in the uh, slave. It's, it's tr- the Ted s-
1: Bundy argument. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ted Bundy porno made me do it. It's yeah. an easy argument. This that that, that that really Bundy wasn't admitting it. He's trying to say he was a victim. And, oh, all power corrupts, and we just happened to stumble into it uh, as, as white people. You know. And you can look at uh, you know, Fidel Castro. You can look at Duterte in the Philippines. You can look at uh, uh, all of the, the banana republic dictators in South America and, and uh, Africa over the last 50 years since colonialism started ending. But, <clears throat> but so what? Mm-hmm. So what that does that doesn't excuse uh, you know every U.S. president since Washington uh, basically in one form or another com- uh, condoning and committing some form of mass murder. Now yes, some of them were obvious racists. Andrew Jackson comes to mind. You know some of them were were obviously uh, 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 not all there. Uh, Nixon and Kiss- Kissinger come to mind. Oddly enough. You know, Donald Trump, for all of his flaws, was probably in the last 50 or 100 years, probably the present least responsible for deaths overseas, mm-hmm. although he certainly made up for that here domestically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and just to like to, to finish that earlier point. Um, so like if the conservative argument is, well, you know, you would have done it uh, if you had the chance, they want to leave. Know the issue at that, right? And meaning, like, now because of this fact, because you would have done this too, there's nothing to do any longer. Whereas, our position is going to be closer to something like, well, Yes, it's true that black people would have enslaved whites if they had the chance, and so on and so forth. Uh, but the reality is, like we don't we don't have those you know uh, uh, other possibilities in place historically. What happened was, you know, this was the white role in the world, and now because of this fact, because this is history, it is time ta- time to do some sort of remediation. Right, it's time to make some kind of some kind of changes. Um, so conservatives are not willing to go there, and liberals are not willing to start with the. Assumption, essentially, and this is kind of you know it's ironic, right? But liberals are not willing to start with the assumption that all people are more or less the same across the board and will behave the same in in similar circumstances.
1: Well, um, quote liberals, and I say quote liberals. I mean, I would the one thing I would disagree. I don't know if the positions that we have are really leftist. I would, I, I mean, I would say they're center left. They're not on that. I mean, when you have sixty plus percent of people in favor for uh, Uh, eliminating college debt in favor of uh medicare for all in favor of the green new deal or or something better etc etc all of these so-called left-wing ideas if you're getting 60 or 70 percent support time and again for the last four or five years i don't see how you can can say that that's really leftist i mean you know people say this is a center-right country no i think i think Ultimately, we have probably a, 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 a moderate to center left country. The problem is, the center left—they don't want to stand up. Uh, whatever you can say about about the Donald Trumps or about racists or the, the Tucker Carlson and whatnot, these guys don't give a fuck. And you just look at just look at someone like B- Biden. You know, uh, he, he's done the minimum that he needs to do to to appeal to, to classical liberals or whatnot. But now with this, this budget stuff. He should just fucking go to reconciliation. Fuck this shit. We're gonna do do this, but liberals don't want to upset the Africa. or people. They don't want to see not that that Biden is really a liberal, but they don't want to to do that. They don't want to to upset people. They don't want to make the big systemic changes that are needed. Uh, and you know we can talk all about racism, but the, one of the things that that's well, I I don't want to get off on global one. You just see, I mean, no matter what's going on, they're just. They're not taking it seriously. They don't take it seriously. Uh, and, you know, anyway. Yeah, I
0: yeah, I, 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 don't think j- just, you know, it's a short aside, but I think people are really kind of underestimating w- w- what's happening, um, you know, collectively, right? So like, you know, the, the Paris Accords were supposed to be this kind of, you know, it's this like opt-in system that does the bare minimum. Uh, last time that I checked, uh, I think countries have hit like, 10% of their milestones. So literally like nothing is happening, right? T- 10% is nothing. And, yeah, people, and, and people don't understand what this really means like that, like to live in a 4 degree, you know, 4 degrees of warming means again, everything south of Montreal is an uninhabitable desert with the exception of like I don't know Patagonia or some shit like that. People don't really get that or or what needs to be done, right? For for that to actually well, be averted. Well, t- t-
1: t- Talk about white privilege. I was, I was, I, I saw something just two or three days ago. That idiot Elon Musk, who's been sending himself into the into space, he's more concerned with with. Uh, he he said something literally that he had a, just had a baby with his girlfriend. That we need to more more people on this planet. Uh, this is the only kind of thing that some detached white supposed liberal thinker could could think of that we that any 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 real a climate scientist will tell you one of the biggest things we could do is to reduce population. You know, it was 3 billion 50 years ago when they talked about the population explosion. Here it is, you know, you know, over two and a half times many people on the planet and they're still not taking it seriously. Now, it's true that scientific projections say 20 to 40 billion people could survive on this planet if everything was run well, if things were equally distributed. Mm-hmm. But because of bigotry, we don't have that. We have, we have you know, you can't have the rest of the world get up to our standard the way we live yeah. so waverfully here in this country. That that I mean, that will just destroy the planet and it may not make it Venus, but it, it, it could very well do it. But we don't plan about it. We we don't care about it. People like Musk, they they they, they live in this fantasy world. California should should be borrowing from Israeli technology and, and, and desalinating water. Um, but anyway. Uh, these 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 are these are not the focus of what I, I wanted to talk about. It's it's yeah. more
0: the, the Micaiah thing. Yeah. Um. Well, l- l- let's actually, because uh, just getting into kind of like you know modern police abuses. Um. I've never at like I you know I've read uh your your books uh where these subjects are, are, are touched upon, but um for those that haven't read it, can, can you give like a, a bit of a summary of. Growing up in in Queens, right, 60s, 70s, 80s, what that was like, what racism was like. I grew up in New York City uh, uh, in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s. So uh, I've seen different things, right? But I want to like, you know, compare and contrast. And for people that don't really know what it was like, maybe you could fill in some of those details. And then we can talk about like cops and other stuff like that, too. the,
1: The two things that stick in my mind when you're saying that, well, one, my dad and walking out of a lot of family gatherings, my dad was... People think most people of German descent have to, have to be right wing Nazis, but there's a very liberal socialist strain uh, in, in Germany too. And my dad was of that. Uh, my dad was a, a very open-minded person. He worked with blacks and Puerto Ricans when he worked at the New York City Health Department driving a van. Uh, he, I remember dr- driving along with him in the early 1970s during the sickle cell anemia crisis, uh, which uh, if anyone knows black people and mediterranean people too uh are more prone to their their red bloods i believe it's the red yeah the red blood cells turning sickle like rather than being uh circular which makes it more difficult to pass into to smaller veins and arteries in, in the extremities and this was a this was a big crisis in the early 70s in new york city especially um so my dad was very in touch with stuff and the other thing that, that came to mind was was you and i, I remember uh over over the years seeing you are sort of panoply of uh different colored girlfriends and whatnot and and i remember thinking uh, when we first met i said damn i wish i i had grown up 20 years later because if i had if i had tried to bring home any of the girls basically that you were interested in you know they would have been raped i would have been killed or both of us would have been killed because uh you know the, I, I was the closest I, I could come to was maybe a, a light-skinned latina girl if i had the hearts for but Anyway, that, so that, those are the two things. My, my dad's constant battles with his own family, which were Long Island Republicans, who would probably be considered lit- liberal Republicans if there is such a thing still. But nonetheless, my dad walking out, talking about uh, when you know my uh, family would talk about Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, mm-hmm. and then and then the the limited supply of females, which would have enhanced my life had I been born twenty years later.
0: Yeah, so so in your books, you sometimes talk about. I'm not sure if this is a pseudonym or what. You talk about this girl Simone Francis, right? That yeah. you you were interested in, but you couldn't date her because she was uh, she was black, um, and and uh, so like j- just to stand that for a second. Um, so your experiences then were, uh, you know, interracial dating was very much frowned upon. Uh, by the time that I was in, you know, in, in high school, there was like, nobody, nobody, nobody cared at all. Right. Um, in fact, like, even, you know, e- even like walking down the street with a black or, or or whoever, even in a black neighborhood, like, I've never, I've never felt any kind of hostility, right? That, that wasn't really part of my life. Um, and let me let me, let me just
1: one, one, one thing, when I when I've been on Facebook, uh, and I, I, I'm on, I'm in groups of like, Long Island memories, Queens memories, you know, Ridgewood, Glendale memories, which are neighborhoods in Queens, which is part of Long Island. Uh, You know, uh, there are people that I know that are are some of my Facebook friends and other people, they'll talk about, oh, I grew up as Beaver Cleaver and this, and everything was wonderful. And I I, I remember just recently, a few weeks ago, I got kicked out of a group because I said, you know, you're living in a fantasy. I said, you know, the 1970s in New York were far more taxi driver than they were Beaver Cleaver. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that it's bullshit because even some of the people who who I still am in contact with on Facebook, they'll write things in, in their posts about uh, things we had in common, where we worked or I knew. And I'm like, I, I don't understand where these people are uh, You know, they'll talk about the 104th precinct and everyone respected the cops what are you talking about Mm -hmm. i i i remember i'm old enough to remember when the the dirty immigrants weren't hispanics but were Slavs who worked in the knitting mills uh, along the brooklyn queens border and when the cops used to come in and they would they would and i even wrote about i think in my true life memoir uh, about cops who killed a slavic waiter and accidentally accidentally when they were harassing a restaurant and and they covered that up Um, and this was all from the 104th precinct and I, I, I talked about the 104th precinct, how I was uh, one time this, this Hispanic woman who was a drug addict was, was stealing some meat and two cops finger fucked her in the car while I was driving with them to, to fill out the report for the company I worked for. Um, this is the kind of over the top stuff that cops would get away with, not to mention, uh, you know, the harassment of uh, uh, the general harassment of blacks. When the neighborhood I lived in on 70 uh, on, on 79th place in Glendale. Mm-hmm. There used to be factories in this place called Atlas Terminal, which was this mobbed up place. And there would be black janitors who'd sometimes have to walk just two or three blocks from the terminal to catch a bus, to go to Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember little old ladies coming or ringing the bell and you'd open the those dead. Oh, I can't say, I'm not going to say the N word. There's an N word mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. Did you see what they're doing? And, and you'd see these guys, they come out of the little deli that was there and they, you know, they'd have you know a, a can of beer or, or a sandwich that they bought, and 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 it's like they're walking through the neighborhood. Pass it on, you know, lock mm. your door, and it's like you know these, these are middle aged guys who, who are coming off of an eight hour or ten hour shift. They got pot bellies. They 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 wanted to get out of there. Or when I worked, when I went to junior high school, one nineteen, there was this kid. His name was Danny Price. That was his real name. He and another black kid were beaten. To, a, a van pulled up. These guys who were two or three years older, who could drive, beat the crap out of them with with bats and water. I never saw Danny or his friend again. They mm-hmm. they did survive. This was long before these things were, even became like the famous incidents in Howard Beach and Bensonhurst in the '80s or, or or stuff. It was just it was just you know buried on page 47. You know, two young children uh, in the Glendale neighborhood were walking uh, to the bus stop and were beaten to death. Boom. You know, th- two three sentences, and and that was it was accepted that this was mm-hmm. just what they had to deal with, and and I laid in, and I knew the kid who who actually did it. He's dead now, and I'm happy because he was a son of a bitch. And I, I, I smiled when I saw saw the Facebook. But of course, these people would say, "Oh, he was a ch- child of God and what?" No, I knew him as a fucking asshole bigot who beat this kid that that was my friend in junior high school nearly to death with a bat simply because of the color of his skin. And yet, I, and my my one vengeance against him was I when I was working for this mob. Uh, uh, I guess he called it this mob. Uh, place uh uh, in their warehouse this guy came to apply for a job and i told him about this kid who was bragging about this uh, about uh uh, beating this black kid nearly to death these two black kids him and his friends and they the 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 gangsters uh uh beat the had some people beat the shit out of him simply because of his being a squealer and it's interesting because these gangsters who I saw it do many things, violence against black people who, who happened to cross the Brooklyn Queens border. With, with their bizarre sense of honor was, was that this kid was so stupid in talking about what he did in beating the black guy that they beat him just on, mm-hmm. on their own bizarre principle. But anyway, that's, that's getting off topic.
0: Yeah. um, I I mean, I I wanted that as an intro because I mean, like, I I guess I wasn't totally surprised when I read your experiences, because I mean, you know, uh, obviously, the further back in history that you go, you're gonna you're gonna get more and more of this. Um, But uh, just growing up, right? There was just far less uh, racial tension. I, I think it has to do much more with just old generations dying out, right? I mean, uh, there, there's so many ideas that uh, only occur not because like finally the argument is seen for what it is, but because old people die, new people take their place and stuff that is kind of, you know, obvious and doesn't have, you know, any disadvantages of just being born into a kind of, you know, a wrong perspective, those those get uh, done away with. So, um, you know, even in the, in the like 90s and 2000s, if, if someone at school were to make a racial joke it would very much be frowned upon not that i didn't hear them but generally speaking it it, it wasn't something that kids found funny or interesting to do uh racial violence uh was uh, was definitely a lot more rare at least compared to uh than how the how you described it um and, and just like you i'm often surprised in this kind of very weird golden age thinking so you got kicked out of that nostalgia group in queens or whatever. Whatever. Um, And one thing that I like, I'm kind of struck by when I listen to, I guess you could sort of call him a conservative, that guy, uh, uh, the former basketball player, Kwame Brown, and others, when people talk about like the way things were, things used to be better. It's like, well, the peak of crime in New York City only hit that peak in 1991. Right. You had the 70s, you had the 80s. There's no possible way that what's going on today is in any way comparable to 60s, 70s and 80s levels of crime. Right. So even in that kind of very basic objective metric, right, people always want safe neighborhoods. People want to be away from violence. You know, it's kind of it's kind of weird to me how um, these people that, you know, could look back on that life and those neighborhoods and not really see the reality for what it was compared to what's going on today
1: that's the definition yeah. of privilege but
0: that's even the, so but even difficult. but even with privilege though like wouldn't they have at least seen some of this and by comparison they see that's not going on now and, and they deny it and like i said
1: uh recently on facebook uh, a couple of uh, a couple of my facebook friends were talking about the 104th priest, and it was related to this micaiah bryant thing and i mm. and i was arguing with them about you know uh if she was white, she would not be dead. Oh, and, and the argument is, oh, the cop did a good thing because Makai was trying to kill a black girl. That's not the point. The point is he would never have brought out his gun if it had been two white girls, even if they both had knives. They, they would have disarmed. And there are videos that show, show, for example, I, I've seen videos where a, some crazed white guy comes out with a knife and, he, and the cops back away, you know, and, and the cops both have their guns you know, but they don't even draw the guns. They just back away, and the guy will, will lunge and 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 make. They don't do it. There is this primal thing that that black, white people have when they see a black even if it's a fat teenage girl like this, fifteen or sixteen year old Micaiah who who rolling around like a bowl of jelly in half the the forty second video, <laughs> rolling around on, the, and. There, there's something I must kill I must there, and and I know that the people that I worked with and knew in New York know this because you know they 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 knew about for example this pedophile who killed shop shopping uh, bag boys at the store uh, they knew about but if you talk about they don't want to remember it they, there is the human tendency to, to want to forget and, and and make everything seem good and I understand that. You know, I, I I try to look on the bright side of things. If, if uh, I, I look back at, you know, some women that I was involved with and I told you about some crazy broad who's now <laughs> scamming people with her religious bullshit nonsense. I, I tried for years to give her the benefit of that, but I have to come to the conclusion that she's now just a scam artist. And in the same mm-hmm. way, these people are going to have to come to the conclusion that, you know, bigotry exists. And, and it and and racism exists and it's not it's not black people's fault that that you're fearful of them it's not mm-hmm. their fault that that you want to that, that that you're so in your little bubble that you want to pretend that that everyone was given a fair chance when they weren't I mean how you know I don't understand how anyone could could I mean you can use the argument against like uh, uh, quotas and say well you know uh, we you know, everyone uh, now should be treated fairly, But that doesn't, it's not just one thing. It, it's, where, it, it's It's redlining. When people are redlined into certain neighborhoods, and I'll bet you, and you, you would know this, I'll bet you redlining still occurs in, in most of New York. I'll bet you Glendale, and I even said this to some of these people on, on some of these groups. I said, uh, how many black people have you ever lived next to or on your block? Because when I sold, when my mom and I sold our home in New York in 1991, we got death threats saying saying that they would burn burn the house down if we sold it to an, an N-word or a Puerto Rican.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, w- w- one thing I'll say is, uh, uh, you know, like I have often said that when, when it comes to this kind of everyday racism that are, you know, that, that's kind of like present in uh, the younger generation, a lot of this has to do with the fact that If people grow up in segregated communities, it's actually, and I wonder where you think about this, it's actually very natural for white people and even black people to uh, fear each other in some way because, I mean, if you think about like, you know, the ancestral environment, you're never going to find a situation where black people and white people and asian people would have intermixed right um and in fact like any kind of like visible difference between uh human beings would be taken as evidence of this is someone that is willing to murder me if he gets a chance right because back then it wasn't really like too many physical differences it was more like oh you know let's say in africa that one village over 10 20 30 miles away uh they they have a slightly different kind of linguistic dialect and because of that right this is uh, the thing i need to fear if they come over to my territory they could kill me or i i could kill them so i could easily see a situation where that sort of thing psychologically gets extrapolated to you know uh, everyday interactions where because of segregation uh, even if you want to do the right thing, you're still going to be fearful, and this kind of uh, uh came uh you know um kind of like more and more into my uh you know uh, understanding more recently, where I, I had a-, a friend visit me recently, who uh, I-, I went to high school with. So I'm Russian, he's Russian, and I live I live in a neighborhood that's primarily non-white. It's it's mostly black and uh, kind of like Indian, uh, uh, like uh, immigrant West Indian, and when he just, he, he just like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a four minute walk from the train to my house. And he was, li- he was literally scared walking down the street. And he was telling me, like, I'm kind of scared walking down, down the street. Like, is it safe for me to take this train safe for me to take that train? And it's like, he went to a high school with me. That was like primarily non-white. And even that was not sufficient to sort of like break his experience in so that he doesn't ha- like naturally flinch, right? Um, uh, uh when it comes to like non-whites around him. And most people behave that way, right? You ask this question in the book, you know, why do white people fear so much? And I think a lot of this answer has to do with the fact that if you grow up in an environment where you're literally not around people that don't look like you just biologically speaking you almost have no choice right even if you do try to be a good person you're still going to be fearful you're still going to have these silly questions about like is it safe to walk down the street um you know like it, it's well, just this kind of mainstay
1: but it, it, the problem in america there there was so many different variations let me give you two other examples i've lived in three states new york minnesota and, and texas in the 1990s when i was living in minnesota literally my, my uh, uh, natural family, my biological family, I'm adopted. Uh, they lived out in Minnesota and they were still using, and a lot of Minnesotans were talking about mulattoes, mm-hmm. quadroons, and even Bruce Ario, the, the poet, uh, would, would will still sometimes refer to negresses. Now, I'm not one of these people, you know, We've talked about a lot of the silliness, a lot of the the gender stuff and all these ridiculous, you know, 182 genders or whatnot. So there is certainly the thing that uh, people can change. uh, uh, Society changes things. You know, you go from uh, Negro to to, uh, Black to African-American or whatnot. So things do change. But this was in the 1990s and they were still using 1950s language. And here in Texas, I'll just give you two examples of how it's different from New York. Um, I live in uh, a very multicultural neighborhood. I've never had a Black person on either side of our home, but I've had Hispanics, Muslims, and one guy who I think was a Hindu. um, And there's probably about 10% Black people in the little subdivision I live in. So in some ways, people would say, uh, you know, that that that's very much like the 1970s kind of uh, gym films that you write. in the future people of all colors and races will live together in harmony in one way that's true but in Texas they will they will look at that kind of thing and Texas with the winter st- storm which we talked of it means everyone that everyone everyone one yes and well now you're all equal but you're just like n words or just like Mexicans and the best example of this of how Backwards Texas is, is about 12, 15 years ago, that big PDF of my poems that, that I've sent you and other people, uh, I had I had made copies of, of my poems physically and I found it cheaper to buy a, a little copier than to <laughs> make copies of 8,000 pages of, of, of whatever that I wanted to copy. It was cheaper to actually just buy the paper and the machine than to go to uh, uh, office office max or something and and, and copy them there so I, I bought this copy about a month into doing all this copying uh, it broke down so i had to bring it to the place where the warranty was and it was an elderly black guy who was the repairman this would have been 10 15 i was 41 this guy's probably pushing retirement so he's probably 20 plus years older than me uh when i went back two or three days later when it was fixed you know i paid oh, I, I don't think i had to pay for anything because it was on warranty. And he said, yeah, do this and this. It it worked. This is what happened. Sorry about it. And, you know, and he was very nice. And, you know, I I extended my hand to shake his hand. And the guy looked at me and he's like, he's like, it took him about five or 10 seconds before Mm -hmm. he he sort of like, you know, you know, to shake my hand. This was 2007, 2008. This is in a suburb of Austin, Texas, the most liberal part of Texas, (laughs) other than maybe El Paso. And yet here still was a guy living in the 1940s. I could, a white man is just extending his hand in just common courtesy for me doing a good job. And he, I could see he was, and then when I shook it, he beamed, it was like, you know, it was like, like he had a weekend away with Halle Berry. Do, do, you,
0: do you still notice that in general? Because I, I, I've been trying to be kind of like very, um, you know, uh, very attentive in my interactions with like older Black people, uh, because I I, I noticed the same kind of strain where there's there's this kind of very weird, you know, uh deferential aspect to their behavior, especially if like, you know, I don't know, like something breaks down and you know, a uh, tech comes out and they're working on something on your house or whatever. Like uh anybody like black people that are like above 50, 60. Uh, there's, there's still very often this kind of weird differential quality, yes. right? And, and, and this is like even despite the fact that you know I'd be significantly younger than them, and um, you know I, I've been more and more attentive to that. Like, do you, you still notice and, that?
1: Yes, and here in Texas, once you get away from the population centers, after we we uh, do this, I'm taking Jessica out to a winery about forty miles out west. Once you start getting the guys who wear the ten-gallon cowboy hats, and you get into the little towns in Texas, you know you will see rural black Texans. They still shuffle along as if as if they're step and it uh, and they'll still cower uh, at a restaurant. And if they come into a restaurant, the 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 white people who own it will be with the ten-gallon hat. Uh, I, I talked about this when we talked about uh, my book uh, working with teachers, how I was Danny, yet they were Mr. or Mrs. Teacher. Uh, and you will still, the black person will come up, well, hello, m- you know, Mr. Halep, or whoever owns the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the 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 white guy, well, how are you doing, Benji? And he'll act in this very paternalistic child. The, the black guy might be 25 years older than him, but he's still treated as a child. And the black people accept it. And the white people say, well, we, sir, you know, N I G R A Z. Can I say that?
0: You know, they, uh, they, they, won't, they, so, 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 they won't. So 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 yes. Yeah, so, so just just to uh, fill people in, it's not that I've gone soft in you guys. I've used the actual N word on these videos before, but once this gets uploaded to these other platforms, I don't want them to take down the whole thing. Yeah. So, so they,
1: they instead of saying the N word, they, they will say N I G R A. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They'll use that as that see i'm i didn't call him the n-word i'm i'm progressive now yeah. these people the farther out you know it's sort of like every 10 miles out from the metro center you go back a decade so once you get get to about 50 miles out you're
0: back in jim crow mm-hmm. era yeah um yeah i mean like in general uh, i think one one thing that people underestimate is just how um Like if if you go through life with uh, certain qualities, right, whether it's like you're white or you're black or you're, you know, you're ugly, you're attractive, your life is incredibly different. You know, I don't really know what it's like to be a, a black person. Right. But I also know that, you know, as a white person walking down the street. I have never, you know, even once been harassed by cops, right? Very different from your experience, which is another thing that we're going to talk about. You know, you grew up constantly being harassed by cops. But uh, now I notice that uh, that uh, at this point kind of fractures mostly along racial lines at this point, right? Cops are no longer kind of uh, they used to be a little bit more equal opportunity uh, offenders. But now um, it's very kind of like race based. Let me
1: just before before I go on to something else. In the book, I talk about this manager that I call Jim Harry. That wasn't his real name. He's mm-hmm. dead now. His real name was Gene Barry. And I, I I mentioned this on Facebook with some friends when they were talking about it. Uh, why I, you know, everyone loved him. But he would call himself a white N-word. Mm-hmm. You know, he would say, you know, this company treats me like a white N-word. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and you, you couldn't get away with that nowadays. But... He himself, I'm sure he wouldn't have been happy if his son had come home with a black girlfriend or something. But he was one of these people who, even though he had the trappings of being a bigot, it was a lot of people like him. The black people loved him when he worked because he mm-hmm. he, he did the shit work, the grunt work. work he, You know, the mm-hmm. fact that he, this is why he would call himself. He, that was his way to say, I'm not a bigot. I'm, I am a, a white N-word. I'm mm-hmm. just like you. But... You know, it's that awkward kind of way of, of, of trying to, to empathize with people. But the black people loved him because in those days, 30 some years ago, going close to 40 years ago, uh, that was that was being progressive. That was, you know, and, and he didn't show any bigotry in how he treated people. You know, he he called you a short cock, if you, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're a black kid or a white kid, you know, uh, but. Uh, and that's why he was he was loved and respected, and everyone wanted to work for this fellow Gene. But he couldn't get away with that, and so this is why I say there are different shades of, of bigotry and and racism. Someone like this Gene Barry was probably just ignorant. You know, it, it's just ignorant. I always look at it as a kind of. Uh, being semi-retarded although can you say retarded you know that, that i look at racism as sort of a, a mental retardation that people have or, or mm-hmm. bigotry in general uh, and so there's a difference between that and there's a difference between the derek show vans of, of the world and, and 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 whatnot and you have to be able to see these filigrees of
0: difference because they do exist mm-hmm. yeah um well would you agree with the idea that uh over time police brutality uh, has gotten better, right meaning there's less of it in general?
1: Probably, but it was like I said, it's hard to say because you'd have to sift through old newspapers and you know page 47 mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, three Negro youths were accosted by uh you know uh, well you know a resisted arrest and, and two of them were shot at you know 1957 well that, that would probably be a big incident today that you know two, two mm-hmm. people just shot that but yeah. you know George Floyd would have been you know page 67 of the the local news you know it, it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have it wouldn't have mattered so it, it probably is um, but then again, I think there probably has been a slight resurgence say from the late 90s or the, the turn of the century. I think there has been a resurgence. Um, I don't think it's been fueled by the Trumps I, uh, people like Trump. Or Fox News or whatnot, I think they have written that because, you know, it's again, you know, if you don't do what we say, if you don't vote like we want to vote, you're going to, we can take what little shit you have. We can take away your cell phones. We can take away your cable subscription. We can take away Netflix. We can take away your electric blanket uh, because we'll, you know, we'll make you a white N word.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good observation about there being a resurgence in police brutality since the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. Because, well, first of all, Uh, Up until a couple of years ago, uh, the standard wisdom was that, hey, um, uh, police brutality has been uh, more or less getting better in an unbroken line. But last year after George Floyd, there was this kind of very like just a huge study that came out, the biggest study of its kind that actually showed that although police brutality in general has been getting better when you do a long enough time span, meaning like a century. Uh, the late '90s started seeing that uptick again. It, it was due to militarization. It was due to you know police unions uh, negotiating the ability to uh, use you know a lethal force in ways and that, people, that are and unacceptable. People like David Koresh
1: becoming heroes. People like David yeah. Koresh, you know, here in Waco, the siege in Waco. This is this is how you get the the whole idea of you know deep government or what was it called, deep state or whatever the term is. Uh, 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 and, and there's, so the, this this the end result is January 6th but something like with this Makaya girl was stabbed people are saying, well you know there have been X amount of incidents and uh, where, where uh, you know there were more incidents with black people uh, or with white people uh, being uh, having guns pulled on them. Yes, but not percentage wise and we don't we don't know about all the incidents where there were, uh, people, uh, 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 white people resisting, and usually what happens too when a white person gets shot or, or something, they're actually resisting. This isn't like uh, this isn't like you know a lot of the times when a black person, uh, a kid is walking away or just you know you know stop stop the, the black kid's walk away, boom boom boom, three shots to the back or something. He's not pulling out a gun. He's walking away, disengaging, and 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 I think part of the the thing if you want to talk about bigotry, like especially in this Micaiah Bryan case is that they don't, they don't care to give enough training for the people who are going to be serving in those neighborhoods. Um, uh, if, you know, if you, if you are, and I think the, the cop was from a, uh, I think the city was a fairly uh, uh, affluent city next door. And I, I, maybe the cop was even from like a, a nearby city or, or, or whatever, but, you, you, if you don't give the training, if you don't uh, teach people how to interact with other people, uh, there are going to be problems. This is, this is one of the reasons why, since we, since we still have enclaves we, racially and, and ethnically, you need to have the people in charge look like the people who are there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's not to say you can't have a white cop in a black neighborhood, but if you have 10 cops that patrol a certain area that's a mostly black neighborhood, you should have maybe no more than one or two white cops, a couple of Hispanics and mostly black people who can interact with that. So, so that the, the one of the reasons a lot of these black kids will walk away and just be defiant from a cop and the cop then guns them down is because they know pretty much that, that they're fucked the minute they're stopped. And no matter what they do, something is going to happen. You know, people famously, I mean, now people, black people talk about the talk that, that every father and mother give, especially their black sons, about when they're stopped or pulled over in a car or any cop stops them. You know, white people don't have to deal with that. Yes, to a certain degree, I I know what it's what it's like, but I'm I'm an extreme outlier in, in that sense.
0: Yeah, just a couple of notes there um, in, ter- in terms of like, you know, even if we have a decline over a century in things like police brutality, uh, one thing that has always struck me is, is just how, you know, th- there's so much shit that non-whites have to deal with from the cops. that will literally never make it into any kind of statistics. When I was growing up, it, it was uh, it played out in terms of constant getting stopped, your stuff taken away, uh, you know, maybe, you know, a cop might slap you or something. Uh, but generally speaking, like non-whites would experience this. Like, you know, my friends, like, like once a week they would have some kind of story for me, right, about these kinds of incidents. And it's not like you got. You know, shot by a cop. It's not like you got killed by a cop. So these are not things that ever make it into statistics. And I just wonder, like, uh, with all the stuff that's being said about, like, well, you know, policing is getting better in, in this fashion or that fashion. I wonder what would happen if we could, in some magical fashion, be able to keep, you know, all these uh, incidents that do exist, you know, somewhere on uh, on video, right, or having them, you know, written up in some way, so that you could actually get a sense of what it's like. You know to be a non-white walking down a neighborhood um and and oh, you know like, I, like having I, I meant, a the, different set of experiences that I way mentioned,
1: i mentioned the hispanic girl that was fingered by two cops who arrested her, her for shoplifting and I'm, I'm sure that this this drug addict which she was probably had no clue that she was molested yeah um, I, I, I i in my book uh and my memoirs i talk about me and this kid the uh, i think i call him georgie in the book uh how one time we were stopped and the, the cop made us drop our drawers and he took his baton and he diddled our balls just to sort of sexually humiliate us. Mm-hmm. And it didn't bother me that much, but I I know the kid, the other kid was upset, right? And he we he was Irish, I I Scandinavian, Northern European. And if they're doing that to young white kids who are poor, you know what they, much worse was going on in Bushwick and and, mm-hmm. and, and black neighborhoods in that time. So it, it's always been that way. And you know, people well, you know the good old days
0: of what Serpico, <laughs> you know, yeah. the Serpico era. Uh. Um, you, uh, you mentioned uh, like black and uh, just generally non-white representation in the police force. Uh, I, I think obviously, you know, this would be a a good idea if you could have people that look like you know the the people that they're uh uh policing. Um, on the other hand, I I, I wonder to what degree this actually helps like not that it doesn't help at all, but I, I I think back to people that I knew like this this other guy from a high school uh, um, I mean so like I, I knew him in high school he, he's a Jamaican and uh, he he left high school and then he entered uh, the police force. And the last time that I talked to him it was like years ago, this was during the um, uh, the, the choking out of, of Eric Garner in Staten Island. And this guy was just like he was just like straight up justifying this, right? He was saying, you know, it's it, you know, it's it's fine that this happened. He shouldn't have resisted arrest. Blah blah blah, right? It's a very typical kind of you know uh, white speak when it comes to um, these kind of you know police brutality justifications, and you know. But this guy's Jamaican, and he's seeing another black guy getting choked out, and I'm sure growing up he's seen all sorts of negative there incidents. Are, is- there are
1: black on black bigotry, you know,
0: you talk about. Yeah, but but, yeah so, 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 but but, but, even specifically with cops, like even beyond the fact that there's, you know, a lot of like self-hatred and, you know, something like the black community, I mean, there has to be given they exist in the margins of society, right? You, you would expect that. But also, if you join a police force, like it, it's per, it's perfectly fine if like you could have two tribes, right? One of my tribes is black people. Maybe I would treat them preferentially in some way. But the other tribe now, if you join the police forces, I'm also now a cop. And black people aren't paying your salary. Black people aren't giving you the benefits. Black people aren't going to be the ones that will be determining whether or not you get like some bad patrol, right? Or whether or not, you know, someone is going to sort of uh, have your back, right? In some sort of gunfight. So, You, you know, even if if you're, you know, normally and nominally kind of you know sympathetic as a black person to the black people you're policing, on some level, it's very predictable that since your biggest tribe now, the most consequential tribe for your life is the fact that you're in the police force, that is gonna take precedence over anything else, including your skin color.
1: Let me it just brought to mind three three times in in my life I've been in crowds where the N-word and bigoted stuff were against blacks was spoken the most one was i i talked about before I, I, on my show i don't know if i on your show how, how uh a friend of mine who was in the cubs gather his father turned out to be the long island ku klux klan leader mm-hmm. and i accidentally went to a ku klux klan <laughs> meeting with them thinking i was going to play volleyball and picnic and mm-hmm. and 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 i i first thought they were gay guys in dresses and then they in white dress, and then they put on mm-hmm. the hood. And I'm like, holy fucking shit! But so that was that was it. But the two other times when the N word flew as much, if not more, involved all black people. One July Fourth, 1998, in Minnesota, when I saved this white woman who's trying to break up a gang fight between Ethiopians and Eritreans, and then mm-hmm. you N word, they would come you and these. And I, I, I said to them "You can't stop these people. They've been killing each other and hating each other before there were white people." Mm-hmm. And the third time that that had happened was uh when i i uh when i worked uh volunteered at my mother's senior citizen center and i was driving people to voting and i and uh another senior center asked me to help drive people over there and it was mostly black people about a third of the black people in this black senior center back in the 1980s were africans not Mm -hmm. african americans but africans africans who come to the U.S. talk about the N-word, African Americans like yeah. you wouldn't believe. They they think uh, uh, black Americans are uh, the lowest scum of the earth, and that they deserve what white people did to them.
0: Yeah. Well, l- l- let's let's talk about that because I mean, like you know, this is this is considered not politically correct. Uh, people always want to like uh, you know. Uh, sort of hide the fact that there's tons of racial tension between Hispanic communities and and Blacks. And also, you know, Blacks coming out of... Yeah, and and Jews and Blacks. I mean, mean, when it comes to, for example, you know, hate crimes in New York City, all the attention recently was on the uh, the spike in uh, hate crimes against Asians. But, um, you know, even if you sort of control for population, the crimes against Jews in, in New York City, they're four times as high, even with... Right, the spikes against Asians, and that mostly has to do with the fact that you know you have Jews uh, living in. Uh, new york city uh in in neighborhoods that are very close to black neighborhoods or within black neighborhoods so it makes sense that with enough sort of interactions right i think it was something like 120 incidents last year you would have you know 120 incidents potentially of it's going to be primarily black people right uh you know robbing people that are you know close to them there's nothing special about it but bringing up these numbers uh makes it seem you know kind of nefarious but you know the second that you start thinking these Kinds of like very ordinary human interactions are nefarious. That's when you start engaging in, in you know, the, the sort of like black noble savage myth. I mean, they, they do it even with, um, you know, like well, most of the attacks against Asians uh, in, in uh, New York City recently have come from black people. And it's very predictable as to why that would be the case. Uh, these are like half of these people are, are homeless and they have you know, mental issues, they've been incarcerated before, it's very predictable that if you have human beings in the margins of society, you introduce some sort of volatile factor, some new volatile factor in their life, such as coronavirus, of course, they're going to have bigoted views. Of course, they're going to lash out in volatile fashion because this is what life is like, right? Uh,
1: uh, uh, let, me, let me give you a corollary. Here in Texas, a lot of Vietnamese came uh, after the Vietnamese war and, and and they became fishermen along the Gulf Coast and what what's happened and I, I've seen I, I, I've seen this and heard this from people who lived along the Gulf Coast and I, I've also looked up online and stuff a lot of the people people Mexicans there there are not many blacks uh, along uh, the Gulf Coast so I guess there probably are here or there but in a lot of towns Mexicans were at the bottom of the economic barrel and when the Vietnamese came in they were more successful than the Mexicans. And there became tensions between Mexicans and the Vietnamese in these small outlets, uh, not between Mexicans and the white people, not between Vietnamese and the white people, but from the newcomers, the Vietnamese, who somehow to the Mexican, to the Mexicans were given favor because that's mm-hmm. why the, they were economically doing better. In a very similar way, I'm sure part of the reasons that Asians are now being attacked in New York probably has to do with a lot of uh, the black people, like you said, if they're mentally ill. Probably uh, like, how are these people, how did they get their business? How did they open a restaurant? You know, they must be kissing the man's ass kind
0: Mm of thing yeah i'm sure there's like resentments like that you, you mentioned the africans that are kind of you know very uh racist against uh native-born black americans and you know this just strikes me as africans coming over and aping you know uh the, the white immigrant experience right because yeah. i i remember when i when i spent uh like like a month in in greece like 10 years ago um we had You know, there were like Africans, uh, uh, like there were illegal African immigrants there on the street, you know, sort of selling, you know, bootleg goods, that sort of thing. And I'm sure, though, that if they were polled, if they were asked, they might not have the same kind of negative viewpoints uh, uh, against uh, native uh, born black Americans, because unlike the black Africans that are coming over here, Right. Uh, uh, You know, Africans that can make it into America legally, they probably are hyper educated. They probably have some wealth to fall back on, you know, in Africa, the upper class in Africa, which is why they're able to make it to the United States. Um, And you see the same kind of mentality from immigrants in general. You have tons of, you know, Hispanics coming over here. If they are able to do so legally, they look down upon people that cross the border illegally. Right. Right, So
1: let me just give you another. Right next door in Turkey, basketball is big. LeBron James, black players, they're gu- American uh, NBA players are gods when they go to Turkey. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you had you know pick pick out Chris Paul, LeBron James, uh, uh, and whoever else big, big stars go over there, they are worshipped like God in the same way. I'm sure because now Giannis Antetokounmpo the the Greek freak, the black basketball player for the Milwaukee Bucks. They just won the NBA title. He's a black kid who, who half, I guess he's half black, who grew up in Greece. So they call him the Greek freak. He's a god in in Greece. And these people, these people in foreign countries only know black culture through rap, through the NBA pro sports. So all they know are, oh, black people in America are are worshipped and they're rich. Mm-hmm. The the black Africans who come here though they will see the the actual state that most black Americans live in and it's they're not they're not LeBron James they're not mm-hmm. living the high life like you know all these rap stars so that that's gonna account for the difference too
0: yeah and, and, I mean a lot of this I feel like goes down to like if you think about it, like emotionally and materially you know the, the typical kind of like conservative, Bootstraps mentality, you know, why don't they just work hard? Or look at me, I came from Africa and I made it to the United States, and they completely ignore, you know, the bottleneck effects of immigration. They ignore the fact that, you know, they're starting out in a very different situation than uh, a native-born Black American, and that's true of like uh, immigrants of any kind of stripe, right? That look down on uh, people of their own kind of ethnicity that. Um, Yeah, like one of the worst things you could be in some ways is to be like a native-born American compared to much of the rest of the Western world. Whereas one of the best things that you could be is an immigrant that's able and lucky enough to make it into America legally right because those two things imply bottlenecks in completely you know different directions and I just see tons of this like conservative uh, mentality uh, uh, propping up and it's probably going to get more and more popular honestly even especially within the black community, right More and more people are going to start disconnecting from the Democratic party and um you know uh, like you'll eventually get some sort of like black entrepreneur class. That's going to prey on black people by sort of, you know, feeding them this, this poison about personal responsibility and other things that, you know, on some level, uh, I get why people have these mentalities, but another level that has nothing to do with everyday material reality.
1: Yeah, and they're always going to be Clarence Thomas's and Thomas Sowell's. Uh, a lot of the people fall into it without necessarily embracing that mentality they just fall back into the easy explanations well they're not trying not, i see it all over the <laughs> online when i argue that uh, immigrants that come to this country will 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 say the same thing about blacks uh i mean and we won't even can't even talk about native americans because most immigrants probably don't even know uh, yeah <laughs> that Amer- native americans exist anymore because they're yeah they're the one group that maybe arguably has it worse off than black Americans in this country, but their suffering is, is totally, you know, they are the crazy ant in in the attic of America, you know, that no one talks about.
0: Yeah. Let, let, let's just touch on like three things before we get to the, uh, uh, the uh, Micaiah Bryant video. So of, uh, <laughs> So first you mentioned, um, okay, so like when it comes to like stuff like, you know, black conservatism, uh, I'm not sure sure if it was in this book, uh, because the second time reading it, I I didn't notice this passage again. But you mentioned, um, maybe it was in another book, something uh, along the lines of uh, white America has really fucked over uh, black America, you know, historically and now, but at some point, uh, you're waiting to see the black community sort of take responsibility for itself. I'm not sure, D- did you say that or? It doesn't like, sound
1: like me, I mean. Yeah, it, 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 sure.
0: it, it, does, it doesn't, but it was like, it was like like a stray offhand sentence somewhere. I think it was in one of your books, but. I mean, maybe, I may have been quoting someone, I, I don't yeah. know. Well, uh, I mean, I, I just want to talk about this idea of like personal responsibility because there's a sort of naive way to. And, and who is the person most pushing this stuff? Bill Cosby, yeah, back, Bill, back yeah, that's that's always Bill, a, Bill Cosby. Any, any, anybody that's so moralizing, you should never trust them. Yeah. Anybody that over-moralizes this much, right? Like, they, they're always the ones... Like, they have to be projected... And that's what I've noticed, like, like uh, over time, right? P- like people that are so adamant about, you know, these kinds of uh, point of views, uh, they're usually the ones that are trying to escape something that they're doing wrong. Like, I'm sure Bill Cosby, even if he's sociopathic on some level, there must be some, you know, little bit of guilt or something that goes on, right? Where you need to engage in these kinds of weird justifications. Um, and, and so so, anyway, like... There's like a naive way of viewing personal responsibility where, you know, policy doesn't matter. Like Ben Shapiro classically says, Oh, you want to not be poor in America? Here's what you do you have to A, graduate high school, B, not have kids out of wedlock, and C, if you can, get a trade or going to college or something. And it's like, well, that's very easy to say. But the problem is when you're talking about not one person, but millions and millions of people in various kinds of circumstances. We know that if you just change the variables a little bit, you will have either more or less out of wedlock births. You're either going to have more or less homicide, right? So the moral imperative in that situation for anybody that has any kind of power is you have to change the variables up because you know if you do that, you change those outcomes. Um, on the other hand, you know, people completely might push back against this idea of free will. Uh, and you and I disagree with this. It's not that I even technically even believe in, you know, a libertarian style free will. But the the point is, um, if you don't at least give lip service to personal change, if you don't at least talk about free will, you know, in some nominal way, you uh, People do start getting this like feeling of like you know I can't escape circumstances, nothing even matters. There's a big difference between you know like let's say a preacher somewhere that tries to like cultivate relationships with you know some like kids that might easily you know go uh, in the wrong direction, and that could be the difference between a kid you know having a, a, a good life with good outcomes versus someone going into you know a criminal underworld. That part is true, but that is also part of your everyday material reality, and yet that can never ever substitute for real, robust, top-down policies, which, in ways that are kind of you know able to scale up again and again, they're able to change those variables, and therefore they're able to change the probability space, space, which means they're changing those outcomes.
1: Well, a society that's dependent upon. Uh... Um, any kind of charity doing Mm. things that government should do is a failed society. Because the very existence of government is to provide for things that people can't provide for themselves. You know, William Glass, a poet that we both know who's on the E-list, He's doing that very same, the very thing you're talking about, working with minorities. And I think it's in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a preacher and, you know, I'm not religious and and, and whatnot. But, you know, I give him all the prop, props to do that. But he shouldn't have to do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the point. He should not have to do that. He, You know, if he, you know, uh, you know, well, I don't want to get off on a digression about missionary kind of things, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's a good guy doing what he, he's doing, and you know, he he's one of the finest people that I know, and I, I give him all the props for that. So.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, like, I mean, um, there's always a place, or like, I I wouldn't say that all those examples are, are uh, examples of a failed society, because, I mean, there's always going to be a place for a preacher type, or even like a strong parent, or a good teacher, right, that could really sway a kid's outcomes, you're always going to have those niches, but that shouldn't be, you know, uh, the thing that society depends upon, right, to, to make these kinds of changes, which is why, like, I, I remember, like, when I did that Ben Shapiro essay, a bunch of people Telling me like, oh, like you should read Thomas Sowell and like respond to this or that, you know, argument, and I I just like pulled up some like articles from him, and it's like these are arguments that are so childish. Like I can imagine a fifteen-year-old that just discovered like you know libertarianism, sort of be like, oh yeah, this is like so brilliant. But if you're older than fifteen, you know that you, you you can't you can't move any kind of society. Based on moralizing from a mountaintop, one of the things that that gets to me, like when people talk about like sexual dynamics, for example, in the black community, they they say things like you know wire, you know, a black women having you know kids that are wedlock. I think there's like a lot of issues you could take because, either
1: because black people can't have sex to have fun. Why don't we? Why don't you know? Why don't yeah. we uh, make condoms available for all? Uh, you know, it, it, it's a minor cost to society. I mean, if you have, if the only thing you have in your life is cable TV and fucking, that's what people are going to do to have fun. Uh, and and why? You know, look look at all these celebrities. Look at all these rich people that have kids out of wedlock. Why are they never talked about? I just mentioned Elon Musk. He's having a, a child with his girlfriend. Why is he having a child out of it? Oh, because he's he's the third richest guy in the world. So yep. it's okay that he has another kid brought into this world or whatnot. Well, he needs less of an ego stroke than a, a black guy who's a plumber who's fearful of being laid off during COVID.
0: Yeah, and also I mean, so so like even those statistics, right? About like you know, uh, se- sex in the black communities are there's there's lots of stuff that you could take issue with. But even if you accept all those arguments, that the picture is as it's being painted, typically, um, you know, just anthropologically speaking, like j- just think about the fact that in, in the black community right now, you have a gender imbalance, right? You have more black females than you have black males. The reason for that is it's very you know easy to understand. Uh, you have black males are being incarcerated so that causes the imbalance. you know males in general, when it comes to any kind of a society that has a violence, they're going to be the first ones to get slaughtered right whether it's like you're a drug dealer or whether you're an innocent person that's just getting you know shocked uh, shot by you know someone that's preying on you in the black community. if you have this kind of imbalance, right a- a- any place that you could look at historically with these sorts of imbalances, you will always have sexual dynamics default preferentially to male sexual desire, right? Why are women more willing to perhaps have unprotected sex? Well, if you have a male that's calling the shots in that situation, right, the so-called, you know, there are no black eligible bachelors, women are going to naturally lower their standards, lower their normal behavioral standards, and you're going to have these kinds of outcomes. But you don't, you know, nowhere in history has that ever been changed by moralizing from a mountaintop. What you did historically was you changed these imbalances, you made things normal, you gave people jobs to the point that they, they don't even want to have kids, right, because their careers become their children in a way. Um, and that solves that problem, you know, of its own accord. Why is it that people in Europe are complaining about, we're not fertile enough, we're not having enough kids? It's because, you know, People, if they have careers, they don't want to have kids, right? It's a very different situation in something like, you know, the projects or something.
1: It's funny you mentioned that because just yesterday on a social media site, uh, I saw this post uh, about interracial dating. This black woman was, was going on saying, I'll never date black men again. I've had seven boyfriends. My current boyfriend is a white guy. He's the only guy who's never beaten me. He's the only guy who treats me like a lady. He's on, and they were, you know, Uh, 1171 replies or something and probably three quarters of them that will claim to be black women were saying the same thing and it's like it's like you know i I, i'm not against interracial dating but i mean don't they realize uh what but of course they're not going to understand these socioeconomic things that go behind this thing and why black men are more frustrated and the only place that they can take out their aggression without being shot dead is maybe against the black woman that they are in a relationship with. That's Mm -hmm. not to justify it. That's not to justify black women getting beaten. But I don't think it serves any good to make it seem as though it's, and this is what these women are doing, making it seem as if there's something fundamentally wrong with black men. Because all of these things we're talking about, all of these things have to do with socioeconomic policies that are put upon the black community because of the racism from above. Because if you do go to Madagascar, or if you do go to Uruguay, or if you do go to Indonesia, or if you do go to a province in Siberia, what you will find is the highest rates of of alcoholism, the highest rates of drug abuse, the highest rates of crime, uh, the highest rates of poverty are always on whatever group is on the bottom. And usually those groups on the bottom are on the bottom, not because of anything but their ethnic status. So when we talk about black uh, racism here, we could talk just as easily about black racism in New Zealand against the Maoris Mm -hmm. or in in Indonesia, whatever group that is, I don't even know. We could talk about the Hmong population, uh, which doesn't have a country in Southeast Asia, you, uh, you, you may be familiar with the Hmongs. They are sort of like the- Is, is, is,
0: is that what's going on uh, like around Burma or, or what? Well, there are Hmong across the whole Indochina. Yeah. That's sort of what the Kurds are to the Middle East, the yeah. Hmong are,
1: are to, to Southeast Asia. And, but in Vietnam, Hmong crime, from what I've read, uh, you know, they are, they are the, the minority group that no one wants. They are the, the stepchildren that all the, all the countries, Cambodia, Burma, Vietnam, uh, Laos, they just want to shuffle them off. And, and, and of course they you know, if you're treated, if you are among N word, mm-hmm. you're going to have similar statistics and, and cry and you're going to have the same slurs against them and the same biases against them as we have here. So it's, it's, it,
0: yeah, I and mean, it's it's not surprising that when you look at um, you know, like Asians are supposed to be the, the model minority, right? But that's only because you know people try to ignore, for example, Hmong and Cambodians and the oceans in the United States. Like if you look at these uh, uh communities, they have rates of crime and homicide and everything else as bad as like you know the worst black neighborhoods.
1: And and again, I just a few weeks ago I was arguing with with this uh Asian woman who who said that she she came. Uh, america is the only place where you can succeed and you have to see she was uh, she was uh uh i think vietnamese or maybe, or maybe she was korean or something and i'm like what don't you see what you're doing i'm like okay and i, I used the very argument you did about uh about the, the model minority and whatnot most fucking people who are east asian what we would say chinese looking with epicanthic foals they're not they're not in uh silicon valley they're not all geniuses they're not all math whizzes. i mean most of them are running delicatessens most of them are doing takeout food or whatnot and yes they can send maybe their kids or their grandkids to college who become math whizzes. and they have they have that cultural you know we got to help each other kind of thing but this idea of playing up the model minority only puts on expectations that when you look back then at the people that that are running the delis, that causes friction within your own group. But uh, again, why can I see that? Well, because I've seen people do this time and time again in all groups, religious, uh, ethnic or, or whatnot, and
0: people never learn. And, but, and, and, and sticking to Asians uh, just for a, a second here, um, you know, another critical piece to all this that people like ignore is, well, I specifically, you know, said that it's it's the Hmong and the Laotians and the Cambodians, right, and the Vietnamese that have these very high rates of crime in the United States. The reason for that is these are the groups or are the refugee groups coming from other countries, right? They become essentially no different and indistinguishable from native-born Americans in the sense that if you're an immigrant, right? Even if you run a Chinese deli, well, guess what? To make it to America legally and then run a Chinese deli, you're probably doing better than the average Chinese person in China, right? Yeah. So you, you come with better education, you come, you know, perhaps like naturally have greater talents a greater jobs, just genetically speaking, right? Compared to like everyone else around you that, that is unable to do that. But if you're a Vietnamese or you're a Hmong, you're ocean, you're forced over here, ironically, by America's bombing campaigns, right, and by like the genocide of like your your native leaders, and there's no way to create that bottleneck, right? Everybody comes over here. Everybody that is desperate and sick, and you know has seen such you know crazy shit. You're now part of that population, right? You don't get to selectively enforce something like uh, a legal immigration status, right? Refugees are uh, essentially the. You know, um, you, you don't even want to call them like uh, the equivalent of illegal migrants, because even when it comes to like people that that, that cross the border illegally, like they, they clearly have gumption, right? They have a set of desires they want to act upon. Whereas if you're a refugee, you're leaving because literally the alternative is death, right? Yeah. You don't have a choice there.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this, this this isn't saying oh america is so great it's like america is better than where i'm from and and yes you could for every great immigrant success story they can hear you don't hear about the 999 uh stories that that fail and it's the same thing in capitalism or, or you know in general you never hear about the failures you never hear about the companies that that uh, squeeze out uh, uh, competitors that have a better product but again that uh, that's a bigger issue than just this um,
0: um j- just two more topics before the video i want to talk about the concept of the of the wigger i think we could say that right <laughs> because it's directed at white people um but then uh even before that uh so uh, you have this quote uh in the book uh about bushwick um whites were not targeted for their race specifically meaning if you're going to like walk around as a white person uh in, in some of these neighborhoods and i i've also noticed that Myself, like uh, I I was in lots of uh, uh, different black neighborhoods when I was growing up, and I can count maybe on one hand the number of times that I experienced any kind of genuine racial tension directed at me from black people and you know being like the only white person in, in some area. This was the case whether or not I was like walking by myself, like through a black neighborhood. Uh, or, you know, I could have been walking with like a black girl through through a black neighborhood. Uh, I rarely experienced any kind of tension or hostility. And this honestly has always just like really surprised me because you would sort of expect that the that, that people that are kind of like pushed to the margins, you would expect more resentment, you would expect more anger, you would expect more hostility. I think, in fact, in your book, you have a quote, something like, you know, it's kind of amazing that We don't have a violent political movement taking root in the black community like every five years, right? Because you know, it it, in some senses like that anger has been domesticated, and uh, I'm just wondering, like, like, why do you think that is? Why aren't we getting the expected level of like resentment that's like very visible um, uh, uh, compared to like maybe other situations? Well, just to
1: get to make a point that. The last movement like that was really the Black Panthers. I wouldn't count the black Muslims because that they they're on a different level they're, A lot of black Muslims share a lot of beliefs about uh, black Americans that are similar to the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, you know if, if you if you I mean with Black Panthers or whatnot, you're going to get government involvement. you're gonna get you're going get uh, the fraction. you're going to get the demonization of the, the Huey Newtons and people like that. Uh, uh, with people nowadays, probably don't even know who Huey Newton was, but uh, uh, and, and so uh, you're gonna, you're just gonna bring a lot of shit upon yourself, and you're gonna get idiots that will defend uh, the January sixth assholes, uh, you know, who actually stormed the Capitol, and yet, you know, if you get black people, you get t- ten black people together, it's a riot, it's a riot, and you'll get a hundred cops in, 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 you know uh riot gear uh, as far as just walking through a black neighborhood i think it's just the way you physically act most people have a good body sense when i walk through a neighborhood yes, yeah, if i see a group of six or seven young teenage males like who come into my store for example I, and these could be all white kids they're mostly white kids i get oh boy something's going to happen they're, they're acting like assholes um so but so I'm prepared for, that. but if you go, if you're going in, into a neighborhood and, and you're, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even if you're holding the hand of a, a black girl or a Hispanic girl, you know, and you're like, you know, they're going to get me, they're going to get, you know, you're just saying, you know, you, you know, it's, uh, I, I remind you that old Nirvana song, Rape Me, you know, uh, yeah. it's, uh, you're going to, you, you're, you're just looking, it's like, they're be like, Boy, what the fuck are you doing? What the yeah. fuck? You, you 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 think I'm gonna do that? You'll bring that kind. of... But if you're just walking with your girl and it's, it's normal as day, generally speaking, people are gonna be gonna be like, who gives a fuck? Like it goes back to what I said about all the black people I've ever worked with have felt, felt very comfortable about me because, you know, you know, if, if I got a fart I'm going to fart I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, Oh, it's a black person here. I can't, I can't scratch my ass or fart if I need to, you know, uh, I don't want to offend them. That fart was not meant against you, Wilbur,
0: you know, but, but, but I mean, even so, like with some of the kind of like more, uh, I guess, uh, you know, like fearful uh, whites that I've known. Like just thinking back to high school, I remember like one incident where like some kid was being bullied by some white kid was being bullied by a, a black kid, but uh, it, it didn't even seem like there was like this sort of racial dynamics there. Uh, you know, it 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 just feels like I should have seen more of these kinds of incidents that were race based directed against white people simply and purely on account of some level of like racial resentment. And I just, I just don't see that. Right. It's just always surprised me, like even on a purely, you know, interpersonal level. Um, And I don't know.
1: It's building up, it's building up a tolerance. black people are a lot more tolerant of bullshit, generally speaking, because they have to deal with more. If, If, like I said, you got white people who think they're, you know, I, I have a right to spread a disease because I'm uncomfortable wearing masks. I see these idiots. They say, "My my my child, this white people, my child, you know, feels very uncomfortable wearing a mask. What about her mental health? You fucking cocksucking son of a bitch! Fuck your kids' mental health bullshit. You you could be spreading the you know uh, the Delta variant or whatnot simply because you. you you're thinking, oh, in 15 years, my child's gonna have a complex. Get the fuck out of here. Get the mm-hmm. fuck out. Black people, uh, uh, mom, uh, I have to pick up some bread. At the uh, make sure you 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 keep your head and eyes low and don't get uh, any uh, white person angry at you. Because if a cop comes along, they'll believe the white person. It's a t- it's a quantum different level of bullshit that people have to deal with. And you know the old saying, like you had had mentioned, is that it's it's a it's a the restraint that black people have shown in not just you know pulling multiple uh uh you know insurrections and 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 killing you know the rich white people in their sleep uh is is amazing i mean there should have been a
0: black robespierre long ago well, one of the things about masks and uh, vaccinations uh so uh, I, I haven't noticed, uh, at least in my neighborhood and elsewhere, like I like people have been very compliant, right, with uh, with, with uh, masks. Um, uh, my my zip code got hit particularly hard with coronavirus, and uh, just during the peak of it, I, I never saw anybody, uh, black or white or whatever, walking around uh, without a mask here. But one thing that you start noticing uh, with uh, the vaccination rates is uh, non-whites are, are definitely a lot more skeptical about getting the vaccine. And there's this kind of weird dynamic happening where um, you have like white liberals that want to blame the lack of vaccination rates on Trump voters, right? They think that this is the reason why it's happening. Whereas the the reality is, I mean, uh, like if you're, non-white in America, you are going to be kind of skeptical of anybody, like any kind of government decree or suggestion that you have to go and you have to get this kind of shot because of this thing happening. Um, You're going to probably be kind of skeptical about that. But a lot of uh, white people are, are very uncomfortable, especially talking about this on social media, because you know it sounds like you're you're blaming black people for the spread of uh, the virus. Um, and I mean, like uh, on some level, like to the extent that you're not getting vaccinated, this is true. But by not talking about it, you're also not really getting to discuss the actual cause, which is. Why should black people like trust you when you tell them, take this, this is safe, this is good for you, given uh, the history of uh, injections that black people have to deal with in this country? Yeah,
1: and, 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 you know, the, the, the forced sterilization. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, what, I mean, black people, even when they were forced sterilizing a white uh, mental incompetence, it was still probably two or three times as many black people who were sterilized than the white people regarding the wigger thing that's one of the things where uh, even in 15 years i think the book has been dated i don't think wigger is a term that's even used nowadays is yeah it?
0: it's not it's it's, yeah. it's it's not and if it is people don't necessarily look I, I, down I don't on know it. I,
1: I don't know if it's even worth talking about eminem or, or whatnot because he's
0: well, I mean, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's just a little bit uh, more and kind of like black-white uh, racial dynamics. Uh, you know, there's definitely a category of person, right? The way that you characterize like the wigger in in um, your book is, it's a white guy that has uh, sort of failed in some way in uh, the white world and so he takes on uh, the trappings of of black culture in the most superficial sense um because he believes that you know subconsciously or or whatever he believes that it's easier to succeed right in the black world in the terms of uh, black people and whether or not he realizes it right th- this is obviously you know a, a kind of condescension right towards uh, uh, the black world right because um you know uh, if, if if you are only in there simply because you have failed elsewhere right that should kind of like tell you everything and uh basically i guess the only thing i wanted to say is um it's uh i i definitely see like this kind of person right uh at present and historically but uh another reason why you get uh, uh white people in black culture in the way that you do is like i, I forget who was but maybe it was one of the black panthers um i, I was reading uh, some 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 it basically said something like, you know, lots of white kids are growing up seeing that white culture is not really offering that much to them, right? Uh, or perhaps it's a point of view that they no longer accept because they're part of a new generation and they're seeing something else within black culture. Now, I don't know exactly, like, well, I could take a guess at what those things were in the 60s and 70s when this kind of stuff was being written. But When I was growing up, um, I really kind of like fell into Black culture simply because, well, first of all, on the one hand, in terms of like white pop culture, the stuff that was being offered was like, it was like bad movies, right? It was video games. It was bad music. um, It was, you know, uh, like stuff you would find in Oprah's book club. Whereas in the Black world, you had stuff that was, you know, just more interesting. And there was especially this emphasis in the arts that- there is a good good and bad that you could adjudicate. And there is something called a talent and a lack of talent. And not only do those things exist, uh, Black artists would often very much make the point that they are superior than some other Black artists, right? They are more skilled. Like the the whole kind of, you know, uh, rap battle culture, right, is born uh, uh, on this fact. And you know, it's kind of like right now what you see happening in movies, right? Uh, tons of directors are like, you know what? Movies aren't making the same money that they used to. Uh, this is a problem. That is a problem. But the real reason I feel like why, why that is happening is when Hollywood offers nothing of value except, you know, let's say something like a a bad drama or a bad superhero film, most kids are going to think, you know what? what's the point of me sitting through a movie and paying for this and doing that when I could just play a video game? Because you're essentially getting the same amount out of it, right? To the extent that video games don't provide any kind of intellectual stimulation and mere entertainment, well, Hollywood doesn't provide intellectual stimulation and only mere entertainment. And yet, the entertainment that you could get from something like a video game, it's much more kind of you know, uh, narcotizing uh, than um, uh, Hollywood. And you could make the same kind of application when it comes to Black culture, right? It's not that necessarily Black pop uh, culture is better, but um, it is a different angle. It is different. And you do get these kinds of hints of something greater, right? I feel like, you know, a, a lot of white people, they're seeing, ironically, bits and pieces of what white culture maybe used to be or could be in the future within black culture, right? If you're a white kid and you're interested in the arts and you want to adjudicate bad good or bad, the only place in the world that's telling you right now that you could make this kind of judgment and it's okay, nobody's going to come after you. It's, you know, it's rap, right? Cuz this is built into rap. Whereas if you're going to go to college and you get get a degree and you start talking about good and bad, you know, people don't want to hear from you anymore. Um so Anyway, I, I just found that an interesting kind of dynamic, right? Like, there, there's there's lots of reasons why white kids get into a, a black culture, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that white culture, the stuff that it's promised, it has never truly borne itself out.
1: Well, there's two comments. When I the poem that I think I quote in the book, uh, the Wigger, was actually about a middle aged white guy. I. I that's, that has been around for quite a while, these middle-aged white men in the 50s and 60s in the mad men kind of era, who would go to, to see black jazz people and, and try to empathize there. I think that, that's something that's a, a precursor to the 90s millennial wigger thing. And I think that nowadays, the last four or five years, there's been the bizarre thing of white women making themselves darker skinned Mm-hmm. Uh, on on videos on YouTube, including some women like the the woman who, who was white who pretended she was black to, and ran at a local NAACP chapter a few years ago who was outed. So uh, it, it's bizarre. It seems, and I could be wrong. I, I I'm, you're much more in tune with pop culture nowadays than I am. But it seems that uh, the the white male who who's obsessed with black culture has has been replaced by white women who have this earth mother type thing that i want to help the negroes so uh, i'm gonna pretend i'm black and i'm gonna suffer because i'm a woman so i know what sufferance is like that seems to me where that came from but i don't know anyway we're gonna do makai next
0: yeah let me um so uh let me try to pull this up and hopefully uh you could hear it okay so this is uh, when he gets out Uh, are they gonna Okay, so okay, here we go.
1: So here, so here's the cop coming in, and the girl in the pink is the one who's going to almost get stabbed. And here comes Makaya with, with her other friend. They two flop onto the ground, and she's she's now here. Okay, just pause that here. So here you can see in the upper left here. Here's the two girls, Micaiah. I can't tell which one is which. I think Micaiah is on the left. So the cop is is saying, "Drop it! Drop it!" Now he's got a taser, he's got a baton, he's got pepper spray, and he's got a gun. I believe at this point he might already have his gun in one hand, but you can see the two girls are not are not even looking at the cop. If you look at the direction that they're going, he's coming at them from almost a 90 degree angle. So <clears throat> here's a cop. She's got the girl is focused on it. He should be also trained in in basic self-protection, martial arts defense. Okay why is he not rushing directly towards the girl with the knife hitting her from behind? She's not even looking at him. His first, now, if you, if you click it now, you're going to say he, 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 at this point he's going to be yelling something at her. If I remember that
0: Yeah. In the original audio, he's just yeah. yelling, yelling nonstop. And they're literally yeah. just completely not paying attention to him at all. Yeah. So yeah, the girl falls to the ground. Makai is the girl
1: who's still up. The girl falls to the ground. Makai is going to flop on her. Now here, These girls are probably 180 or so pounds, probably 5'2", or 5'3", whatever they are. The cop the cop is still not intervening. He's standing back, letting them go. Now the gun is out. Okay, so maybe he had it out. Maybe he just pulled it out. So why is the gun? Micaiah there is the girl with the back. You can see her ass, not the one on the ground. If he had a taser, he could just taser. If he had a baton, he could just crack her over the head Mm -hmm. and move in. He's just standing there doing nothing. And now she's going after the pink girl, the girl in the pink. The the girl she knocked down. So there's Makai. Okay, now it's, freeze it, freeze it there. So you can see. So so he's had now this 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 is probably literally five or six seconds. But if you get a call and and I believe in the original video which I watched, which goes a minute or so before he gets there, there's no report of any guns or anything. So if I'm a cop and and I've got training. And I've got the three other things, the pepper spray, the baton, and the taser. Why is my first choice going for the gun? Here's a girl with a knife. Now, she, she, she's a heavy girl or whatnot, but she didn't try to stab the first girl. She she, mm-hmm. uh, she could have easily stabbed the girl who fell onto the grass uh, if she would, wanted to do damage. Now, I don't know what the but – I've heard things of what they were fighting over a boy or some shit. I don't know. Um, uh, and now Makai is going after the girl in the pink. But there – if you have pepper spray, pepper spray probably wouldn't have been good in, the, in that case uh, because she had her, her, her face to the back or whatnot. But he, he's a trained cop. He's going to be able to, he should be able to overpower. her. If he has the baton, he could crack her in the head or crack her in the nose or crack her right on the hand to make the, make the, the knife drop. If you're doing this stuff, and I, as someone who is in a gang fight or whatnot, the one thing to do is to keep moving. So the cop is moving. But he's, he's, he's not doing that with any uh, pre-planning. He's just trying to basically avoid it. And you can tell from the way he's moving, he's trying to avoid getting hurt himself, even though she's not bearing any threat to him. So she's probably unaware that he's even there, it seems. Why doesn't he Why doesn't he use uh, the taser? And especially after she gets up, after the fr- girl falls on the ground, he's right behind her. Literally, if he had his taser ready, he could have her. Micaiah falls to the ground. Uh, and the thing is, if if you are being trained, where is the training? Uh, uh, that that this is how you encounter a situation. He's going to clearly be stronger. He's physically large. You can tell just from the body camera that he's clearly got inches on her. I don't know how many inches. I I think he's from what I saw at the uh, afterwards. He's he's a, a good, powerfully built guy. I think he's in his twenties. He's not an old guy. He's a young, uh, robust male and. I mean, anyway, uh, there, there are numbers of things he could have done just in those first few seconds if he, before he pulled up, was just even thinking if he had the proper training. He, there's no gun reported. I'm not going to go for the gun. So I'm either going to have one of the three other options ready. Why isn't that ready? Why is he pulling out the gun here?
0: Yeah. So, so I mean, at this point is when he uh, uh, shoots her, right? She she's uh, just about to stab this other girl, yeah. um, and you know, people could uh, uh, sort of debate around whether or not you know, like it's ethically sound, whether right now in this moment, several feet of distance, whether it's appropriate to shoot her right now. But the argument that I would make is, whatever that you feel about. This situation right here, right now, it should have never really gotten there, right? I mean, like, like you said earlier. So when this is when this is what's happening, um, and you you see that these are you know you don't know what's happening on the side, but these two are are in an altercation, right? there's there is supposed to be immediately some kind of intervention at this point, right? Right. Here, the
1: girl falls down. This girl isn't looking at it. Makai is the other girl. She's she's even she's even looking at it. at at her if this guy has this basic basic training what he would have done is right there instead of pulling out the gun if if we went back five or six seconds in real time there he should have had the taser ready or the baton yeah Uh, a baton uh, a a cop's baton is 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 about this long at least it, it was so he's probably talking about 18 inches minimum you're telling me that a 25 30 year old A strong, robust cop who's properly trained in good health, a male, with a baton or with a taser, could not have right then. She's she's disobeying what he's saying. He's perfectly within his rights to clock her over the head or to get her with the taser. Now, I'm not, uh, and and like I I said earlier in this show, this guy clearly afterwards, he's walking around. uh, He's, he's, you know, uh, remorseful. He's saying, but she had a gun, had a gun. He clearly panicked. He had no plan what to do when he went in. Why is this guy? And I think I read that the Columbus police or whatever, they only get six weeks of training. Yeah. What do they get in Europe? In Europe, they get something like nine months before mm-hmm. you're even put out uh, in, onto the streets. So he's got probably less than two months of training. He's got probably something like 10 to 15% of the training that uh, time-wise that uh, European cops will get. And he's alone in in the cop. What you know? I guess he was the cop closest. We could argue if they needed two cops in, in there, but he's totally unprepared mentally for going into quote unquote battle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, I I would say that the main thing to to talk about here. It has to do with the training, right? Um, to your point about Europe versus America, first of all, European cops get uh, more training despite the fact that they are in far, far less dangerous situations, right? In the United States, uh, most likely you have uh, many more reasons to fear not only being a cop, but also you know being a civilian, right? Being subject to the various uh, uh, whims of cops. Um, I mean, so yeah, I, I agree with the fundamental analysis, analysis that it should have never gotten to this point, right? Um, This could have been short circuited when it should have been, which is like five, 10 seconds ago, um, which is why we're here. I mean, uh, do you want to talk about more about this video or tee off on this into like slightly uh, other subjects? Because I want to talk about policing in general as well.
1: Yeah, but uh, uh, it, it does bear repeating, once you, you see very clearly before he pulls the gun, and maybe he had the gun on his side, but we only see him draw it uh, after that. Right right here, when he's coming in, if, if, if I'm this cop and I have proper training and I see those two girls, the, the minute I see that Micaiah go after the girl, and I, that does she have a knife there? Possibly. Uh, I, I think she does have the knife. The, she's not looking at it. He could go in, even forgetting the baton, just a, a good martial arts training, a good kick to the face. Yeah, he might have knocked out a few teeth. Maybe he would have broken her nose, but she'd still be alive.
0: Yeah. Um, w- one thing that you said earlier that that kind of uh, do you mind if I stop the, the share? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that you said earlier um, that uh, called my attention was it was something like you know if if she was uh, white, uh, he would have probably never pulled out the gun. Um, Absolutely, and I you know I I I think this may ver- may very well be true, but the way that I normally talk about this, like even even if that is in fact the case, uh, instead of like trying to talk about like individual cops and maybe how they would have acted differently had you know people's races been inverted in some way, I think it's uh, even more useful to say something like, well, even if we don't know for a fact that this cop would have behaved differently with a white perpetrator versus a black one. Uh, We do know that irrespective of this one cop, if this cop were in like a thousand different situations or like similar cops were in a thousand similar situations, we know that overall those outcomes would play out very differently, right? Which is why like so many of the kind of like debates about was Derek Shelvin actually personally a racist with hatred in his heart? Like that's such a pointless conversation to have. Right. A, because it, as it turns out, he definitely did have lots of like racism within himself. Like there's lots of stuff, you know, in his personal life, how he treated, you know, the uh, 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 people at, at sor- sort of like black venues when he was like a bouncer. So, you know, putting that aside, but, you you, you know, I, I never really uh, cared too so much about personalized because it always feels like, you know, you're personalizing the argument when you could simply say, you know, well, had a thousand similar cops been in a thousand similar situations just by the way of how we know human behavior falls out, these outcomes would have been different overall, right? Even if individually, you could still have the same outcomes again and again.
1: Well, I mean, the, I remember when I first saw the video on Quora, there was a guy arguing about the European cops and how differently they they treated. And also the thing about uh, 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 white kids, uh, the, cop, the gun would never have been produced. Clearly, clearly, there's not enough training given to cops overall in this country, uh, uh, and especially when they're deployed into situations or areas that have minority people. Uh, there's is the the undoubted tendency to to be more definitive. I mean, you could look online, uh, and and like I said, you could see white people. Uh, Wielding a machete and cops backing away, giving him, you know, oh, he, he's on something. There's the infamous video of uh, a black guy who was, I think, a mental health nurse outside trying to calm a white guy who's laying on the, the ground. Mm-hmm. And the nurse is trying to, and the cops shoot him from 200. Yeah. They shoot the black guy who, who's who got his hands up like this. And and, and, and whether it's Micaiah Bryant or that incident or, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of other videotaped incidents. It's always gun first when it involves a black person. It's always violence first rather than talking to it. Uh, uh, And it's just a a repeated pattern. And and the the incompetence of the training only goes so far though uh, because uh, yes, this particular incident, the guy probably was not an out and out racist in, in, in the Derek Chauvin sense, but there is that immediate Pull out the gun when, if he were properly trained, and if this were white people, I there would that that mechanism to to pull out because he sees two large black females rolling around.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Then there's something in him that that gets scared, you know, uh, and. And and, and and even in, even if that wouldn't apply to this cop, you know that it would apply to a thousand other cops in, you know, a thousand other situations like this, right? Like, and, and I think that always kind of bears repeating, right? Because uh, just too often people want to personalize this stuff to essentially like exonerate cops, right? That happens all the time, right? You know, yeah. this guy is good. This guy is bad. It, it really doesn't even matter, right, what your personal feelings are in so many of these situations, right? It's, it goes it's beyond the rotten
1: that. barrel. The, yeah. the constabulary in America overall—it's a rotten barrel. It's not—it's not that Derek Chauvin or this cop or any other cop is a bad seat. You could say this cop was just a scared, untrained or unconfident mm-hmm. cop. Maybe this was the first time you ever encountered this without a, a senior uh, buddy in the car. Uh, it's the fact that the system uh, is designed because they don't care if innocents get injured. You know, the, there's the famous video of that old man. Uh, during the protest last summer, uh, the old guy with the cane, who the cops push mm-hmm. him to the ground and he hit his head and he yeah. down, almost bleeds out on the ground. They don't care. They're, they're, there's no sense of public service or being a civil servant. It, there's just, it's just utterly gone. The cops think that they can do what they want and without consequences because they do. And Derek Chauvin aside, we'll see what happens to it with his three buddies. The the other girl. Uh, uh, who in Tennessee? Who was shot in her apartment with her, her, her boyfriend, um,
0: Brianna Taylor?
1: Brianna Taylor. Yeah. Uh, there was absolutely no reason she should have been shot. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there's no reason that. Uh, oh, the the guy, the the boyfriend had a gun. Well, a lot of people have guns because they live in a crime-ridden neighborhood and they hear people pounding. And like I said in the last time we had we talked about it, is that 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 only one person out of fifteen said the cops identified themselves properly as so. So uh, if I live in a gang ridden neighborhood and it
0: could be uh, my enemies. And much but, of the time it wouldn't even matter. Like yeah. pl- plenty of times you have uh, criminals who are identifying themselves as cops in these yeah. neighborhoods to, you know, get inside a house. If this is like yeah. a, a drug house or whatever. Yeah. Right. But
1: again, if, if that, even if that had been some white drug addicts or whatnot, yeah, they would have been, they would have been. Uh, uh, and there's, there's another famous video of a white guy being shot by cops. And people say, see white people get shot by cops. Oh, So we have 1,200 videos of black people being abused by cops, but it all balances out because one white guy got wrongly shot because one white guy's life is certainly worth as much as 1,200 black people's deaths and suffering, you know, and they don't even realize how bigoted and how myopic
0: that even comparison is. Uh, One thing I'll say about uh, the the shootings of uh, white people is, is this, um, this isn't this isn't to uh um well let me just put it this way so uh recently you know there's been all this attention on the shooting of uh, uh, black people which kind of surprises me because like when you think about like well why why do Things become popular, right? In the imagination, Uh, oftentimes it's because there's some kind of like political expedience. And I guess last year, you know, Democrats uh, uh, tried to like virtue signal about the shooting of uh, unarmed uh, uh, black men as a means of saying, "Look what's happening in Trump's America. If Biden gets into office, this will never happen," right? And meanwhile, um, you know, pretty much everything that Democrats said they were going to do in terms of policing, they've sort of you know uh, walked back on now. But um, uh, we do have this phenomenon, right, where there's attention being, uh, at least like visibly, being uh, uh, paid on black victims. And sometimes you do have, you know, like I, I've seen things that are basically even more cut and dry and crazier than Derek Chau- Chauvin, than, than uh, uh, this uh, Micaiah Bryant. Uh, and if it involves a white person, it just gets absolutely no attention. So to give one example, um, I believe this was like in 2017, uh, or maybe this was like late uh, 2016. There was this like white guy that he's just like a, he was like a, a window cleaner at a hotel. And I guess he's sort of gotten drunk at some point. Uh, and then maybe somebody called the cops on him. So you see him in the hotel lobby, just like lying down with his like hands out and his legs out. And the cop is just asking him to do all sorts of really crazy over the top stuff with his hands, like, you know, put your hand here. Now the other hand, put it behind you. Now lift your leg, you know, two inches up, lift the other leg four inches up, just like torturing him. And he starts crying and he starts, um, you know, like uh, uh, fearing for his life. And just out of the blue, like one of the cops just like shoots him and it kills him. And you, th- this is literally, though, an example of a cop on video with, with his other buddies torturing a guy in the middle of the hotel lobby, and it gets no attention whatsoever. Now, I don't think it's because of these like nefarious reasons that like, you know, white nationalists want to offer like, oh, it's because Black lives are, are valued and white lives are not. Clearly, that's not the case. But I think uh, there is something to say for the fact that you know, uh, police brutality against black people is in the public imagination for whatever reason. It seems like nothing is really being done about it, but that's in the imagination. And because you could get headlines based on that and because you could get attention based on that and because you could get votes based on that, even if you scare people into voting for Biden over stuff like this, um, when you have white victims... You're not going to get as much attention, even if numerically, let's say, you know, this sounds crass. I don't, I I don't mean it that way, but let's say they don't deserve it as much since because they're far less victimized. It is the case that white victims will not get uh, uh, the same attention as black victims today, if you're able to catch both on on uh, video.
1: Yes, I know the video you're talking about, the hotel, but by the same token, uh, I mentioned it in the book, the back in the O's when I wrote this book. Every time a white woman went missing on a vacation mm-hmm. or something, it became worldwide news. Yes. And they were all white. They were all blonde. A little black kid uh, is missing. It's it, <laughs> not even going to yeah. be on a milk crate, but the the white, the white girl, there was, the, there was an epidemic of probably by five or six white girls, over 15 in the O's where it was on NBC nightly news, the search for, you know, blonde white girl, number 12, you know, mm-hmm. um, so it all depends the situation, and also because he was a white man, and also because he, he was not. I, I think uh, that particular video that <clears throat> I think was in Las Vegas, you're, you're right, uh, that guy was uh, not all in his, his right mind, uh, and it was less having to do with a white guy than that was that the guy was mentally not there. Uh, I, I believe.
0: Uh, I think he was a window cleaner that just like got a little bit drunk or something, <laughs> yeah. but he, he was just like on the floor. Right. With no, yeah. yeah. And clearly not uh, a threat to anyone.
1: Yeah. And I, I, yeah, that's, that's the way I mean, but uh, anyway, yeah. And, but again, it's one of those things that's an outlier that again, Oh, uh, this, these few times when, when a, a white person person was treated like a black person is by people in power, those few times, we you have you know 150 times many other incidents with with black people there, but somehow that balances the scale. Again, yeah. it, not realizing just how ridiculous that is.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I,
1: and, I, I, I stubbed my toe and, and you called me an asshole. Oh boy, that ranks right up there with the middle passage.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's similar to what I like said earlier about like um, not in this conversation, but you know uh when um like like people like especially white people they they often complain about the fact that it's sort of you know it's sort of allowed that black people you know kind of make fun of them whether it's like in comedy or like whatever and uh white people aren't like allowed to respond without you know getting canceled or facing some of the kind of consequences and what i've often said is you know the stakes of like walking through like a black neighborhood and someone like you know, shouts at you like, oh, you white faggot or like whatever the fuck. The stakes are just so incredibly low, right? Because when you're done with that kind of interaction, you simply get to go home to your house, to your family, to your neighborhood and not deal with shit right? Whereas, you know, uh, the stakes of, uh, racial language against, uh, uh, non-whites just historically speaking, right. It, it, it has, um, you know, it, it implies many more things of actual everyday material reality that goes beyond the, the equivalent of, Oh, somebody called me a moron. I mean, who actually cares about that? Um, it,
1: it goes back to when I've been arguing with people on Facebook about the neighborhood I grew up in one guy was like, uh, uh he put up a video from 1960 where they integrated schools in, in Glendale or Glendale New York and saying see we, we were integrated schools five or six years before uh, the rest of the city we're not biggest or whatnot we're not we're not uh, shouting at little girls we're not burning down churches like in Selma Alabama and I was like yeah. <laughs> wow so uh You have one video where the people are being interviewed by a news crew and they're they're, they're on their best behavior. But we're not going to talk about all those times, like I said, when the neighbors would knock on the door. There are Negroes in the neighborhood. Lock Mm -hmm. your doors countless times and countless page 47 black people being beaten or killed in 1968 or 1974 that were never reported this was before mass media media and it became quote-unquote sexy to to lead news because
0: it bleeds Uh, uh do you want to talk about the ways that like white people get used racially like in the media or in politics or like by the culture um, you know maybe last 10 10 20 Let's years say, you know,
1: we we only have about 10 15
0: minutes to go so
1: it depends on All what right.
0: plan. Um yeah I'll, I'll maybe just like some brief comments uh, on that I guess cuz like um you know like for example uh, uh, we mentioned that a white guy that got uh, tortured and shot by the by those cops in the uh, hotel lobby um you know I feel like when there's like examples uh, like that available for white people to you know uh, pluck and and to discuss You know, uh, white people would often say, see, you know, white people uh, deal with this all the time uh, as well. Uh, It's very disingenuous to say that only happens to black people, blah, blah, blah. Um, You know, a lot of this strikes me as uh, just like another way of just like separating people. Right. Because on the one hand, you could understand you know, human resentment where you see someone getting tortured and he gets no attention and you think, hmm, I wonder why that is, right? The most obvious reason being that the person is white. Um, and then on the other hand, uh, you have conservatives who are swooping in and, you know, either trying to, you know, run cover for cops or, you know, saying that nothing needs to actually change. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, I'm just seeing just like, basically the point is, I'm just seeing just being used as as useful idiots, right, for all sorts of things that they themselves don't understand. You see this yourself, like, in some of the people that you work with, you know, uh, white people that aren't really racist, but they're voting for Trump. Um, Like, like just what have you been noticing, like, on that front, right? Because it's just a very kind of disturbing trend where, um, you know, white people are kind of disconnecting from politics, black people are as well, and uh, just a lot of this kind of, like, wedges being put in the center.
1: I mean, I, I don't know if uh, I'm not as in tune with that stuff as you are. I, I do know a couple of days ago, the big video that went viral was of that Fox News asshole Tucker Carlson getting confronted by a white fellow in Montana and uh, saying, the white fellow said, you know, you're the worst human being in the world. I should kick your ass. And then 24, 40 hours later, Tucker Carlson came out with, you know, one of those, those replies, you know if the if the cat if they hadn't been filming on the phone i would i would have really gotten out of control and kicked his ass and whatnot and it's mm-hmm. like this, this 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 is this is and then carlson saying you know this wouldn't have happened if i was a, a a black commentator if i had been don lemon or something you know and it's like this is this is what these kinds of morons think deserves some kind of politicization yeah. or race racializing is that that a guy who's basically a race mongering guy whose whole fortune uh his whole celebrity is built upon playing upon this uh just like an ann coulter who, who who tweeted a few years ago uh, on uh, uh, applause for the the, the church bombing or, or the temple the jewish bombing in, in uh in pittsburgh and i got i got banned from Twitter because I called her a cunt, if you can, if I can say that word. Uh, but then he Tucker Carlson, this, this, this is right up there with Micaiah bryant's shooting. Uh mm-hmm. that Tucker Carlson got confronted by a, a white Montan who, who was who, who who called him out for his political bigotry. This and and, and this and this probably got more airplay than Micaiah bryant's shooting. That yeah. that in and of itself says the state state of how black people are devalued in this country. It, it, it's it's become an absurdity
0: yeah i i remember when uh that guy coleman hughes in lesser form uh he said something like well we talk about you know discrimination against uh, blacks in employment and so on and so forth but what about the fact that that singer rihanna decided to use only black dancers in one of her videos or something and it's like like who gives a shit? Like oh, this is oh, this is such a like a, oh, a, a, something that literally never ever happens in any other situation, right? These are boy, the states.
1: Rihanna employing black dancers or black people being sold at slave markets for 250 years. What what boy the 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 absolute scale of of, of the the way these mindsets work. Boy, you know you know there there were there were three white dancers who are just as good as the black dances Rihanna is a racist Ugh.
0: or or, or, for, or, 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 for, or for people that believe that slavery is too far too far away and too you know distant to discuss well what about the fact that right now I mean if you look at any studies on unemployment applications and stuff like that if you have a, a black photo, right? Versus a, a, a white person or black name or like a, a white person or a white person's photo, or whatever. You know, you have like a, a 30% difference, right? in getting called up, even if qualifications are identical. And it's,
1: fun- it's funny because that, that cable news guy, I saw a thing that John Oliver, I don't know what show he's on. He, he I saw a, like two minute rant where he says, you know, fuck reparations for slavery. We should pay reparations to black people today for what they are going through today. Just yeah. for black people, for being black people today, should get reparations for all the shit they they get. They should, you know, get a a, a ten thousand a a year subsidy uh, just for having to deal with that shit.
0: Yeah, um, I guess we could close out a little bit on cops. I mean, I, I, I agree. You know, cops are still uh, out of control. Specifically, I remember during coronavirus, um, the like the only people in my neighborhood that were not wearing masks were cops. whether or not they would go into like uh, inside a store like the 7-eleven you know locally like it says the same thing for everybody mask required inside one time i go inside there i see two cops like laughing it up without masks and for whatever reason the workers behind the 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 glass panel they suddenly have their masks off too almost as if they were pressured to take off their masks uh, when the cops entered i walk by to home depot and i pass by this police uh, precinct and always it's like 30 fucking cops just like the equivalent of like you know how like in the uh, king of the hill you have those like guys like standing around just like uh drinking oh. beer they're fucking doing the same thing except with, with cigarettes all maskless, like fucking breathing on each other coughing at each other sneezing on each other and like like for anybody that's like against this uh, idea like all cops are bastards if you think that's not a, a useful lens to view policing through Think about the fact that, you know, in that one example of all those cops standing around this one precinct, which one of those cops is not a bastard? Right. Because if you're not a bastard, you'd be you'd be out there shouting, like, you can't fucking do this. Not only is this unethical, it's also against the very regulations that Bill de Blasio put out. Everybody has to be wearing a mask, especially cops who must be modeling this kind of behavior. Right. But you know, nobody does it. Then they get upset when you sort of generalize against everybody. But the generalization works because in any situation where the stakes are high, where things actually matter, the cops that could actually do something to prevent something bad from happening never do so you have to put them in the same category and the right? few that
1: the, the the few that might are, are the serpicos and they usually end up leaving the force and you know serpico himself said that uh, he suffered from a lot of uh, mental stress i guess you call it ptsd and you know he sort of has gone a little wacky in the head on some issues in, in later years i don't know if that's with alzheimer's or with just ptsd or whatnot so you're, you're gonna be if, if you are a cop who's a reformer who doesn't want to do the things even if you're a, a cop of color you're gonna mm-hmm. go along with, the, with with the way because it is a rotten barrel that's what this should be should mm-hmm. have the rotten barrel of the constabulary yeah that's
0: that, that, that's a much more useful way of viewing things than a rotten apple right because rotten apple is just so like you know it, it wants to deny what's actually happening right underneath it all yeah Um, But anyway, uh, this was uh, good. Perhaps we'll close it here. Uh, I will actually put Dan Schneider's email address into the description under this video. So if you guys want to email him and get a copy of this book, uh, please do so. Uh, If you haven't hit like, please do so. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. And again, whether The book is on Amazon too. Oh, it is on Amazon. Okay. So you could actually, okay. So I'll put the link on Amazon. Um, And if you guys are listening to this as a podcast and one of the audio platforms, you could View this on YouTube, on the Auto YouTube channel, um, and vice versa. So thank you guys for watching, and I'll come up with something soon. I'll have a video with uh, Ethan Pinch a few days from now, so you guys will get another uh, upload soon after this. Oh my god